In the morning, crack a dawning, now I'm yawning, wipe the cold out my eye. See who's this page of me and why. It's my nigga Pop from the barber shop. Told me he was in the game. Alright, here we go. Saturday, 12 p.m. on a Labor Day weekend. How's everybody doing? It is BK here. Yeah, no Labor Day weekend breaks for me, but that's okay. Coming at you guys from San Diego, California. I gotta tell you, it's hot as hell here. And as I've said a couple times in the past, it's funny because this time of year, it's very warm and humid. And as you guys know, I live by the beach, like right on the beach. So it's very loud outside, of course, on a Saturday. So I have to like literally hermetically seal my place up to not get a lot of unwanted noise in here. So by the time this podcast is over, I'll have like probably sweated out like six pounds. Plus, not only that, but I'm like Jack and Steel yesterday at the local military base and I'm doing like, you know, hang power cleans. That's the one where you don't set the bar all the way down. And I'm doing like with like 135 or so. And I just feel that little crick right in my neck. Right. And I'm like, ah, oh, shit. So I just dropped the weight and it's, it's no big deal. It feels fine. But then today I wake up and I can, I can't move my head to the left. So I'm playing through pain today is what I'm saying. Not only can I not move my head, I'm vastly already dehydrated and still, with the two and a half hours straight, no breaks, no editing that you guys get every week, you got to be kidding me. Nobody else is doing it. So let's get started with it. And how about uh, let's just start briefly with this hurricane update. And this is Hurricane Dorian. As you guys know, hurricanes are wildly unpredictable, and it's hard to tell where exactly they're going to land. They still do think it's going to hit maybe somewhere in Florida. But the storm is getting stronger, and its track so far has it turning north. And this is Hurricane Dorian, and it's expected to hit the northwestern Bahamas uh, tomorrow, Sunday. And uh, at first they thought, well, maybe it won't be as bad, but it is getting stronger. They say it's up to a Category 4 as of now. And earlier this morning, it was about 415 miles east of West Palm Beach, Florida. And those are sustaining winds near 150 miles an hour. It was upgraded to Category 4 late yesterday. And it is approaching Category 5 speeds, which would be over 156 miles an hour. And this Dorian is actually more unpredictable than many have been in the past. And forecasters have had to adjust both when and where Dorian is going to come into the mainland. So uh, we hope that it won't be that bad. I see a lot of people are getting prepped in Florida, so all the best to you. Hope it works out. You know my feelings on it, you guys. I mean, why take a chance? You know, if there's a chance it's going to hit, if if your work is going to be closed down anyway, just drive a couple hours inland, you know, camp. Go camping or something. I don't know. That's That's what I would do. So that's your hurricane update. So why don't we get into our international news? And I thought I'd start with Mexico this week. And this Mexico bar arson, and I'm surprised this wasn't a bigger story here. They say at least 26 people are dead here. And this was in Mexico's southern port city 
of Coatzacoalcos. And uh, they say the attackers started a fire that you know tore through this bar very quickly, and it killed at least eight women and 15 men and seriously injured 13 other people. Now, the state prosecutor's office in the Gulf State um, of Veracruz said the police, as of now, are still searching for these attackers. And this attack, along with the killing of 19 people in the western city of Uruapan this month, and I think I covered that a few weeks ago, has kind of renewed fears that those public theatrical violence and mass executions of the drug war that kind of raged from 06 to 2012 may have returned. Uh, Of course, President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, or AMLO, uh, condemned this arson attack. And yes, they are considering an arson attack. Now, the local governor suggested that a gang dispute had been behind the attack and that the armed forces and newly formed National Guard were part of the investigation. Uh, The governor, that same governor, later identified the chief suspect as a man known as La Loca and gave his name as Ricardo N. because officials no longer give the full names of suspects. Uh, This this suspect has been detained in the past, but he was released uh, recently. Now, this bar is known is called the uh, Caballo Blanco Bar. And it's in a storefront on the busy commercial street in that city of Coatzacoalcos. And that city's main industry is like oil and oil refining. Now, they think this, the fire may have been started with gasoline bombs. And this blaze occurred almost eight years to the day after a fire at a casino in the northern city of Monterey killed 52 people. And that attack in 2011 in Monterey, that was another attack, and that was uh, blamed on the Zetas drug cartel to enforce demands for protection payments. And that same Zetas cartel has also been active in the same area of the bar arson. So they're, they're, they're wondering if it is the Indeed, Los Zetas behind it. Now, I mentioned that they're they're thinking this drug war may be back. And if you guys have listened to this podcast regularly, you know I cover Mexico a lot, and I've talked about the the crime statistics there, and how they're like in the midst of an all time murder rate. They're setting records for homicides in Mexico, and the there is a difference, and they think it might even be worse this time because back then. In that 2006 to 2012 period, the worst of the violence was confined to just a few cities. However, now it's spread throughout the entire country. And it used to be that uh, gangs would kill adults but leave children unharmed. And they say they're seeing much more the killing of children alongside their parents. Now, the AP did a story on this, and they say that perhaps the most disconcerting change is that that previous cartel violence outraged Mexicans and captured international attention for the drug war, which saw 27,000 homicides during its peak in 2011. However, now the number of Mexico's homicides have soared to near 35,000 last year. That's the most recent numbers available. 
And they think the bloodshed now seems to draw less attention and indignation, which is it's kind of ironic if you think about it, because now we have much more social media and citizen journalism than we did from 06 to 2012. So you think it'd be the opposite. You'd think that with the, the gruesome pictures would be getting out and there'd be mass protests in the streets, but it doesn't seem to be happening. Oh, I'm seeing this AP story, which I just opened up today. They've actually updated the body count in that Caballo Blanco nightclub fire, and they're saying it's 28 people now dead. And they say a possible motive is because the owner had refused to stop selling drugs from another gang. Now, in the previous drug war, much of that killing occurred in the string of northern Mexican cities, especially uh, Ciudad Juarez, Tijuana, Culiacan, uh, Reynosa, and Nuevo Laredo. And they said now it's a lot more dispersed and it's a lot harder to con control. But what they're seeing now is the similarities of these, of these public demonstrations, like that arson fire, like those bodies that are left hanging from the bridges and overpasses. So, uh, yeah, you know, they, they, they don't have a Second Amendment in Mexico. And I've talked in the past a little bit about how they're actually forming militia groups down there to defend themselves from these cartels. And, you know, I hope it works out. Never give up your guns. I'm just saying. Okay, let's keep going around the world and turn to Hong Kong. You guys have seen the protests been going on, but really it's it's kind of getting crazy over there now. And they say that now, that today on Saturday, these are the most intense clashes they've had in Hong Kong in those riots since those protests began in June. Uh, so right now, this last like 24 hours, they've seen riot police firing tear gas, pepper spray, water cannons at protesters outside government offices and the Chinese military's local headquarters. And some in the crowd have thrown firebombs at police barricades. Uh, here's a, here's a, here's a uh, cop trick. The police pumped blue-dyed water into knots of protesters because they wanted to mark them to make it easier for officers then to go in on foot and make arrests. Uh, I, they, protesters had made a makeshift barricade in the road, and that had been set on fire by the police. And now tensions have been running high, partly because these protests are marking the fifth anniversary of the day that the Chinese government rejected proposals for fully democratic elections in favor of a more limited voting plan in the semi-autonomous former British colony of Hong Kong. And that decision then angered many in Hong Kong, and it set off months of large-scale protests in 2014, which were known as the Umbrella Movement. So you might have missed that five years ago, but they did have some big protests five years ago. And of course, this one now is all about extradition back to China. So the Hong Kong government said it would not reopen negotiations on proposals to increase democracy, despite demands for a one-person, one-vote system to elect the city's leader and legislature directly without interference from Beijing. Uh, so top Chinese officials, along with the Hong Kong officials who do answer to them, have ruled out concessions to the demonstrators already. And as a matter of fact, they're going the other direction. They are pushing a campaign of stepped-up arrests according to veteran members of the city's political establishment in this New York Times article. 
And further coming up, a little wrinkle is that Beijing also does not want anything to mar its October 1st celebration of the 70th anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic of China. So that's coming up quick, and you know that's going to be a shit show. Uh, that symbolic date, you know their protesters are going to go crazy. They're now calling this the worst Hong Kong political crisis since that territory was returned to Chinese control in 1997. Uh, yeah, and their authorities are like, hey, you know what? We're not, we're not playing, and no more defiance will be tolerated. They are Hong Kong's own government released a statement uh, strongly condemning what they called, quote, the radical protesters, who they said had set fires, vandalized property, hurled numerous petrol bombs at official buildings, and attacked police officers with corrosive liquids and bricks. And now they're kind of going around and targeting the individuals because on Friday yesterday, several of the most prominent pro-democracy lawmakers and activists in the city were rounded up by the cops, although many were later released on bail. So pretty wild what's going on in Hong Kong. They're not backing down. And you know, in a kind of a fascinating development, I don't know if you guys have seen this on social media, but these Hong Kong protesters are really kind of showing a blueprint on how to protest effectively against one of these totalitarian, authoritarian, all-seeing governments because they're going after, first of all, the, the lampposts. Have you guys seen this? Yeah, they're toppling what they call these smart lampposts that are being tested by the government. And these lampposts, you know, like a street lamp, right? Well, it's not just a street lamp. These lampposts are equipped with Bluetooth connectivity, uh, sensors, and cameras. And the officials say the cameras are there to collect data uh, from traffic and weather. Obviously, a, uh, a malevolent government could use that surveillance for anything it wanted. And for hundreds of demonstrators, these lampposts are now standing as beacons for increased government surveillance in Hong Kong. So they're starting to attack the lampposts. Uh, they sawed one down, they burned another, and tore the, out the insides of more than a dozen others. And they're disassembling these lampposts to look for evidence of gadgetry that could track smartphones or the chips that are now mandatory in people's local ID cards. It's pretty, and it's cool how they like how they're walking up to it because they all they all pull out umbrellas, right? You know, like the old Roman legionnaires, how they, they go into the tortoise shell with the shields and they advance on the enemy. You know, if you guys saw the movie, the 300 Spartans did that kind of too. That's kind of what they're doing with their umbrellas and they approach the lamppost so you can't, so it, if there was a camera up there monitoring them, you can't see any faces because they're obscured by the umbrellas. And then underneath the cover of the umbrellas, they're, they're taking the quickie saws out and they're just uh, downing all these things. So interesting tactics and I'm sure we're going to see a lot more of this going further. Let's continue in international news and turn to the war in Afghanistan. And yes, sadly, you guys, another week and we have another death, another Special Forces member or Green Beret from the 1st Special Forces Group has been confirmed dead in Afghanistan. This is Sergeant First Class Dustin Ard from 1st Group. And he has died from wounds sustained during combat operations in Zabul province, Afghanistan. 
Sergeant Ard was 31 years old, and he left behind a young daughter and a pregnant wife. That's freaking great. You know, I got, I'm almost exhausted with it, and you know, I know you, th- you think I'm going to go on some big rant about it, right? But, I mean, it's sad. I'm just like, I'm, I'm like tapped out. I can't even muster up the strength to be enraged about this anymore. Because it's, it's just, it baffles my mind. Not, it, it, everybody seems to be in agreement that this is a total disaster. The 18 years in Afghanistan, we're no closer than we ever were. And there's no way, we don't need, we can't even define victory there. Everybody seems to agree on that. And yet, we are still there. So what is that? Tell me what that's all about. Military industrial complex indeed. And it is a real thing. For sure. And the Joint Chiefs Chairman is now saying that Afghanistan's security forces are not yet able to deal with violence in their country on their own. And that was said during a news conference at the Pentagon by General Joseph Dunford Jr. He is the chairman. And he said that's why he's not ready to use terms like withdrawal when discussing the American troop presence in Afghanistan. You know what? At a certain time, guys, it's got to be more than me saying to the general, I don't care about their problems, general. I don't care if they're not ready. It's been 18 years. That's an entire generation that you could have raised from infancy to be competent, military, not corrupt, and you haven't done it. So how many more generations, general? It just never ends. And, you know, he's a general. That's what he wants to do is fight. And recall that we do have the most deaths in a couple years now in 2019 because, uh, yeah, we just, we're going on more direct uh, action and more aggressive role. And the, the vast majority of that is being, you know, borne out by the special operations forces. And it just it just never ends. And then, and meanwhile, while these quote end quote peace talks are going on with the Taliban and between the Taliban and the U.S., uh, the Taliban have launched an attack from several directions on the northern Afghan city of Kunduz, which they have occupied twice in recent years. They just, they don't give up. <laughs> and uh, this is even as the insurgents seem close to a preliminary peace agreement with American diplomats. Well, while those, while those uh, peace talks are going on, residents said that heavy fighting had been underway in several corners of the city since before dawn. And this was reported on August 31st, uh, our time. Uh, later in the day, the Taliban carried out a large bombing in the city's symbolic main roundabout. And... The blast occurred soon after Afghanistan's ministers of defense and interior, accompanied by General Austin Miller, the top American commander, left Kunduz after assuring the locals that the attack had been repelled. Well, more than a dozen people were killed in that explosion, including some of the local security leaders. So, yeah, good job. Unfucking believable, you guys. There's just no, there's just no end to it. Uh, now, just I had to throw this in as if you want to say some, I don't know. You know what? I, I've been talking to a few friends offline about this, and I have a theory, and I stand by this theory. I've had this theory for a couple of years. Okay, we're all in agreement that Afghanistan is a total fucking coat hanger abortion, right? 
and no, and we don't leave. I have a theory that we're actually now at this point, we're still there because we're using Afghanistan as like a proving ground for our newly minted special operations personnel and infantry or, or personnel. You know, like think about it, like it's like the Predator movie scenario, right? The Earth is the proving ground, and the Predator goes to the Earth to hunt the most dangerous people, which were Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Indian guy. Um, <laughs> Billy. Billy. Remember Billy? Yeah. So so that's, so that's maybe that's the, that's the only like logical reason I can think of why we'd still have true presence in Afghanistan. It's like, okay, well, we just graduated our latest class of SEALs, PJs, Green Berets, Army Infantry. All right, send them over there. You know, let's fucking get their dicks wet, so to speak. That would at least make sense if they came out and said that, you know? Like, hey, we need like a trial by fire here. That's why we keep, that's why we're in Afghanistan. But they won't even say that. So uh, back to my point I was going to say before that. Uh, there was um, a award given out. I thought I'd recognize this gentleman. An Air Force pararescueman was awarded a Bronze Star with Valor this week. Following several surgeries and months of efforts to get back on duty after being seriously wounded in Afghanistan last year, this is Air Force Staff Sergeant Aaron Metzger, and his um, he basically caught a ton of shrapnel from a grenade, and it ripped into his right arm and chest while he was treating two severely injured Afghan commandos he had carried out of the line of fire during a nighttime raid against the Taliban in April of 2018. So Metzger put a, had to put a tourniquet on his own arm, helped one of the wounded Afghan into cover, and started like you know laying down some hate with all the ammo he had left. And uh, then luckily another uh, special operations soldier showed up and Metzger helped talked him through like treating his own wounds. Um, and then before he could be evacuated from the battlefield, he would be wounded again by gunfire while continuing to fight. And that is just outstanding. So Metzger is from the 38th uh, Rescue Squadron. That's out of Georgia's Moody Air Force Base. And of course, this is just a long line in the uh, history of the United States Air Force Special Tactics Community. Deep in the front lines, and so outstanding job. Tip of the spear indeed. Sergeant Metzger, well done. Okay, let's move over to England very quick. And because I don't know what's going on here any either, and I thought I'd talk you and myself through it. And what did Boris Johnson, the new British Prime Minister, actually do to their parliament? Now, this was all over the media earlier this week. And here's what happened. He basically cut short the time lawmakers have to debate his Brexit plans, announcing that he had asked the Queen to suspend Parliament days after lawmakers returned to work from a break and just weeks before that looming Brexit deadline. Guys, I know this is boring as shit, but it's, it's important. Let's just struggle through it, okay? Remember, Britain's planned withdrawal date from the European Union, commonly known as Brexit, is October 31st. So this move limits legislative time before that deadline, and it drew immediate criticism from the opposition and some lawmakers within Johnson's own conservative party 
So what exactly does this mean, writes the New York Times? Uh, well, basically, it's changed the time frame for decision-making on this, on this exit. So basically, now the clock is ticking. Parliament will still meet during the first two weeks of September, and then they were expected to break for up to three weeks. But now, because of this ticking clock, they're probably going to stop that. So this is a new five-week suspension period, and it includes the three weeks when lawmakers already anticipated being in recess, but now they will not return until October 14th when a new parliamentary session will begin. Uh, so this decision to end one parliamentary session and start a new one deprives lawmakers of the power to cut short their break, further tightening the timetable. And actually, a new session of Parliament begins with a speech by the Queen. I didn't know that. Setting out the government's proposed legislation uh, for the period. God, this is so complex. <laughs> like I'm reading it, and I'm trying to I'm trying to read it, comprehend it, and understand it like all at the same time. And it's it's uh it's pretty pretty brutal. So in this case. Queen Elizabeth II gave her approval for Parliament to cease operations from no earlier than September 9th and no later than September 12th until the October 14th date. Okay. Yeah, the, the Queen, I didn't even know the Queen had a role in Parliament, and you probably didn't either, but the power to uh, what they call prorogue Parliament rests with the Queen, who officially declares it is being suspended However, the process happens on the request of the prime minister. Um, in modern times, when asked to do this, the queen has always obliged, and indeed she did it in this case. Okay, well, so that's what's going on with Brexit. So right now, still, the deadline to... So basically, the deadline is saying, like, we don't care if we don't have a deal with this, uh, the European Union to leave. October 31st, that's it. We're out. So we'll see. Okay, let's turn to some suicide bombings. And not in the usual, this is a little bit unusual because it happened in Gaza. That's right, two suicide bombers hit Hamas police checkpoints in Gaza City late Tuesday, and it did kill three police officers and wounded three other Palestinians. This is an uncommon attack from within the territory. Now, two of the police officers were part of the armed wing of Hamas. That is, of course, the Islamist militant group that governs Gaza. That group usually is engaged in cross-border clashes with the Israeli military. However, at times, it has faced internal opposition from more stringent Islamist militants aligned with al-Qaeda or the Islamic State. In other words, Hamas isn't extreme enough for ISIS or al-Qaeda. So they go after Hamas, if you can believe it. Uh, a spokesman for Hamas's interior ministry said in a local TV interview that two suicide bombers had carried out the attacks at the checkpoints. Uh, they say their intelligence was able to identify the attackers, but their names as of yet have not been revealed and uh, no further details have been released. And nobody has uh, claimed responsibility for this attack as of yet. But... Local reports say they are believed to be the work of bombers aligned with the Islamic State groups. Hmm. A Hamas spokesman said the attacks only serve Israel. <laughs> of course. 
describing them as suspicious bombings that harmed the armed struggle against Israel. Yeah, he's like, come on, guys. I mean, we all hate the Jews here. Jesus, can't we all work together on this? Uh, a spokesman for the Israeli military said he knew of no involvement by Israel in the blasts. Hmm. The attack did leave body parts strewn all over the site in puddles of blood covering the ground. The first blast destroyed a motorcycle as it passed a police checkpoint. And the second explosion was less than an hour later, and it killed one officer and wounded at least two other people at a police checkpoint elsewhere in the city. Now, tensions have been high for several years between Hamas and the Islamic State branch in Sinai, which is fighting, by the way, the Egyptian military in that area. The Islamic State fighters subscribe to that Salafist ideology, which is at odds with the more pragmatic approach, writes the New York Times, of Hamas. And Hamas is rooted in the Muslim Brotherhood of Egypt. Now, see, ISIS fighters see themselves as part of a global jihadist movement, while Hamas is part of that Palestinian resistance to Israel. And on the ground, uh, these two groups have had violent clashes and political disagreements, most notably over Hamas's relations with Egypt and control of smuggling tunnels on the border between Egypt and Gaza. Now, Islamic State commanders, in turn, have criticized Hamas for engaging in talks with Egypt over control of the border between Egypt and Gaza and have publicly invited Hamas members to defect their group. Jeez. Okay, well, good. Well, I hope they all kill each other. Hopefully. Get on it, boys. Uh, a little. Oh, okay, I do have a little bit of update on this story. They say Hamas has arrested 10 suspects in the, those suicide bombings. And they say the suspects do include current and former members of Palestinian Islamic Jihad, which is a rival militant group that often works in concert with Hamas, especially against Israel. Hmm. So not ISIS then, huh? Uh, we'll see. Oh, this is funny. A spokesman for Palestinian Islamic Jihad named Dawood Shehab said that it condemned the bombings and that it excused violence, except against Israel. <laughs> they, actually, yeah, they actually put that in a story. All violence is bad, unless you want to bomb uh, Israeli children. Then it's fine. That's, as a matter of fact, it's very woke if you do that, as I understand the American activists. Hmm. All right, so they got the same shit going on there. How about an Ebola update? Because Ebola has hit a milestone. You guys know I've covered Ebola as it's developed here. And this year-long outbreak in the Democratic Republic of Congo has now hit more than 3,000 confirmed and probable cases, active cases, and a death toll above 2,000 people. So remember, this is Congo's 10th Ebola outbreak, and it is the second worst epidemic of the virus on record, uh, only surpassed by that one a few years back when the first big Ebola scare, really. And it is also the first one in the densely forested hillside provinces of North Kivu and Ituri, where militia-led violence and ethnic killing have undermined security there, which makes it obviously much harder to treat the outbreak. 
And remember, despite the development of that effective vaccine and treatment, health workers have struggled to control the spread of the disease in remote and conflict-hit areas of that eastern part of the country, again, because of local superstitions and mistrust of those first responders, as I've, as I've alluded to in the past. You know, these, these tribesmen see their loved ones go into the medical tent and they come out dead. So, that's so, so they're like, oh, well, you killed him not the Ebola virus. So there's a deep suspicion of the healthcare workers there. Meanwhile, in neighboring Uganda, officials said that a young girl who had tested positive for Ebola after crossing the border is the fourth case imported from Congo since June, and unfortunately she has died. Um, so the government data, yeah, like I said, in Congo, showed those deaths reaching now 2006. So again, over the 2000 mark barrier. And in case you're wondering, that 2013, 2016 Ebola outbreak that I alluded to earlier, the big one, that's the only one that's deadlier than now. And in that outbreak, more than 11,300 people died. So this one still has a ways to go to match up that one. But, you know, they, ha they have the ability to fight it. It's cutting through these, this uh, superstition and kind of like uh, just misinformation out there. Okay, let's uh, let's go back to let's go, let's turn to America for really quick. You guys know I love the racial controversies. I really do. All right, and okay, here's let me set this up. A white female anchor, television anchor, uh, she had to make an on-air apology after. <laughs> comparing her black male co-anchor to a gorilla. This, her name is Alex Husden. And um, she told her colleague, Jason Hackett, that a gorilla at the Oklahoma City Zoo looks like you. All right. A little tip. <laughs> it, it is, it's always inappropriate to compare anyone to a monkey, but especially a black male with the long, long, sordid history of comparing black men to monkeys, is always a no-go. I'm just going to spell it out for you. Okay, so I'm going to play this clip, and in the first part of it, you're going to hear her uh, comparing to a monkey, and what, what's going on on TV is it's showing the monkey, like at the zoo, right? And you'll hear them kind of bantering, and then you'll see, oh, he looks like you. And, and you know, obviously... Obviously, there's no animus behind this. She blurts it out, but like I said, you can't do that in this day and age because of the long history of it. So that's going to follow up with her tearful apology. So uh, let's hear how this one goes. Here we go. Caesar just okay, you have to see this. This is Finn. We're about to show. Oh my goodness! Take a look at him. He is a resident of the Oklahoma City Zoo, and this week the zoo's eighth caretaker took over their Instagram, and we are all loving that they did. And as you can see, Finn was fascinated. Definitely ready for his close-up. <laughs> Coming up. Nine oh seven on your Friday, and now we want to turn to an important message from KOCO's Alex Housden and Jason Hackett. I'm here this morning because I want to apologize not only to my co-anchor Jason, but to our entire community. I said something yesterday that was inconsiderate, it was inappropriate, and I hurt people. And I want you to know, I understand how much I hurt you out there and how much I hurt you. 
I love you so much, and you have been one of my best friends for the past year and a half, and I would never do anything on purpose to hurt you. And I love our community, and I want you all to know from the bottom of my heart, I apologize for what I said. Okay, very good. Well, is the, is the apology accepted or is she canceled? I think she's probably canceled, right? It's funny because the black dude is looking at her like, <laughs> like he just wants to like choke her out. And then uh, just a quick clip. This also had one of you Canadians, some of my Canadian listeners sent this to me. I actually had it last week, but I didn't get to it. And this is uh, the white woman at the Broadmoor Mall in British Columbia. She hit an Asian woman's car, and then as she's getting into her car, the Asian woman's like, hey, yo, what the hell, you hit my car. And she's like, go back to where you came from. So uh, let's hear this one. We don't want you here because you can't drive. You see, you crossed the line. I crossed the line. You don't know a damn thing. Go back to China where you belong, you fucking asshole. Chinky, chinky China lady. Oh, boy. Okay, that was all over. And the Canadians are even, if it's possible, are even more woke than the white liberals in America. So uh, that clip made the rounds. Uh, now, uh, I tell you guys over and over again, and I know you don't want to listen to me, and that's fine. I get it, because you're going to learn one way or the other. I tell you guys to stay out of the Walmart. I do. I mean, there's a lot of places to go shopping. That's all I'm saying. Walmart's trying to compete with Amazon. They would love to ship you everything for free. But no, you want to go to the Walmart. Okay, fine. Well, here we go. Man charged with indecent exposure and assault for masturbating onto a woman in the Walmart checkout line. That's right. And shockingly, he had a history of doing this. This was in Waco, Texas. A guy named Franklin O'Beary. He was already in McLennan County Jail for separate indecent exposure charge when he was at the Walmart. And he, what he did was he would follow women around the store. And like I said, it said specifically, and again, this is very lowbrow material for our media, so they don't give you good detail a lot, but it's, the headline says very specifically, he didn't just masturbate, he masturbated onto her. Okay, so I don't know about you guys, but I'm thinking like he that means he finished. That means he finished. He fucking shot it right out of him and it landed all over this poor lady's clothing. Is what I'm fucking tracking on the situation. <laughs> if I see it's a if if they don't put onto her and just put masturbating, then I'm assuming he doesn't finish. But once they put onto, yeah. There was some fluid projectiles, is what I'm guessing. Now, second Walmart masturbation story, and many of you did send me this. Thank you very much. I like that you guys think of me when you see these stories in the news and you immediately send them to me. At least a couple dozen of you did. A 65-year-old Walmart shopper was arrested after allegedly using a motorized shopping cart to follow a 36-year-old victim around the store. And this is, this is according to the smoking gun. And this was in uh, eastern Iowa. And according to the cops, they were dispatched to the discount chain store when they, quote, found the defendant had been following a woman around the store in an electronic cart while exposing his penis and stroking it, end quote. 
And uh, as you probably would expect, he's very, very unpleasant looking man. So <laughs> there you go. But but no, keep going. You have to go to the Walmart, right? All right, go ahead. Just keep going. That's what you're going to get. Okay, guys, uh, speaking of stories that many, 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 many of you have sent me, let's get into this. And this is a far less amusing topic because uh, the California Appeals Court has overturned the sole conviction in the death of Kate Steinle. This, of course, was Kate Steinle, who died in San Francisco after Jose Inés Garcia Zarate picked up a handgun, pulled the trigger, and shot her. The bullet ricocheted in her back. She died in her father's arms. It was a very famous case in 2015. So a California appeals court has reversed that conviction because they say he did not get a fair trial when he was convicted of being a felon in possession of the gun used in the shooting. Try, try to fucking wrap your head around this. The San Francisco Superior Court judge who oversaw the original trial, disallowed his argument that he never had legal possession of the deadly weapon. So that's why they overturned it, if you can believe this. And he lied about it, first of all, because remember, he said initially, on July 1st, 2015, when he was sitting at San Francisco's Pier 14, he inadvertently stepped on the gun, which was wrapped in rags, and it discharged. That's what he initially claimed. Okay? He then later said he picked up the gun, so he didn't just step on it, and it went off. And then he threw it into the bay. Kate Steinle was 32 years old at the time when she was struck in the back by that bullet. Of course, Garcia Zarate had been deported five times and had served time in federal prison for re-entering the country illegally. And what the NBC story here leaves out is that he was in that federal jail as I was one of the few people who told you guys this, you never see this in the news stories. He was in a federal jail, and the San Francisco sheriff, he was going to get out, and ICE was going to take him and deport him yet again. Instead, the San Francisco sheriff sends a car, like on a six-hour friggin' drive from San Francisco to San Bernardino, where he's in jail, picks him up, drives him six hours back to stand trial in front of a judge for a $20 marijuana charge. It was like years old. And the judge promptly threw the marijuana charge out because they don't do that in San Francisco anymore, and he walked free. So like I said, this was like an illegal alien rescue mission. It was far more than just gross incompetence. This was like sinister. Oh, but no, you can't sue. you can't sue them is what we're also finding out. Yeah, just because they're colossal fuck-ups in San Francisco. And you know you know what blows my mind, you guys? You can sue a city or municipality or county. You can fucking sue a city for anything. You trip over a sidewalk, stub your toe, break your toe, you can sue the city. Uh, a cop is too mean to you, you can sue the city. But an illegal alien that's a San Francisco sheriff goes and rescues and then sets loose on the streets who then kills your daughter, you have no legal recourse towards. Isn't that freaking amazing? And how come that never comes up in any article? It's unbelievable, dude. This is a big part of actually Trump winning this election, I think. Now, remember, that was the only charge he was convicted on. He was acquitted of first-degree murder, second-degree murder. He was acquitted 
of involuntary manslaughter and assault with a semi-automatic firearm. How was he acquitted of involuntary manslaughter at least? God, I, you know what? I'm, I'm getting worked up reading all this over again. Remember, so he was he was convicted on that one charge. He was sentenced to time served, which came to two years, but then he was immediately arrested by U.S. Marshals on federal charges of being a felon in possession of a firearm and ammunition and being an illegally present alien in possession of a firearm and ammunition. So the federal trial is scheduled for January 13th. So we're going to go all, all over this all over again. All for a fucking illegal alien drifter who we've already deported five times. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, it never ends, you guys. It never ends. Okay, and now speaking of this, let's let's go around. This, this uh, was fake news all over the internet. Let's continue on our immigration beat. I saw all the woke vets as they are wont to do on Twitter, shrieking endlessly. And a lot of them still are because they won't correct their gross fake news spreading. And this is about the citizenship policy for children of troops serving overseas. This had so much misinformation. Everybody, as soon as the story came out, was like, oh my God, can you believe that? From now on, uh, an American man and woman, citizen, both, who are stationed overseas in the U.S. military, if they have a kid, that kid is not going to be a citizen anymore. And that whipped around all the woke vets, stupid as they are, because you guys have to understand, the woke vets can't read, and they don't like to read. They prefer to just look at the headline and then virtue signal their wokeness by retweeting it with an outrage hashtag. And I called out so many of them. And of course, like everything they do, they were wrong about it. It made the U.S. Citizen and Immigration Service publish a clarification saying they do not revoke automatic citizenship for children of U.S. citizens born abroad. The only thing it will make a little bit more complicated is adoptions by children who are never citizens. You know, like if you're two Americans overseas and you adopt a child, it's different paperwork. And it's just a little bit more of a pain in the ass. That was all it was. It was just a friggin' paperwork snafu. That's it. The policy affects the following. Children born of non-U.S. citizens who are adopted by U.S. citizens, children who live with their U.S. parents abroad but who did not acquire citizenship at birth for some reason, including infants and children adopted overseas. Um, and then there's a few other very, very niche uh, groups. They said it will probably affect like less than 20 people nationwide. And... As USCIS Acting Director Ken Cuccinelli said in a statement, by law, most babies born to U.S. citizens overseas become U.S. citizens at birth. The new policy, quote, does not affect anyone who is born a U.S. citizen, period, end quote. This policy does not, in fact, earth birthright citizenship. This policy update does not deny citizenship to the children of U.S. government employees or members of the military born abroad, said Guccinelli. Okay, so there's your fucking fake news from the woke vets of the week, and I knew it was bullshit as soon as it came out. And no, the hysteria. And go look, you guys. They're still spreading it as we speak. Now, an immigration story that is the opposite of fake news, and of course that means it's not covered at all by our worthless immigration journalists. You guys like on Twitter how I dime them out all the time? I'm always tagging them in my tweets, asking them when they're going to cover stuff. And what's the one I'm talking about? Well, now I'm talking about how, for some reason, Montgomery County, Maryland, 
and I've told you guys this before, it's where my parents live. They have an obsession with turning loose illegal alien child rapists in Montgomery County instead of turning them over to ICE. And I believe we're up to seven in the month of August that they've let walk out into the street, Montgomery County did, instead of picking up the phone, calling ICE, and having them deported. And nobody gets them on camera. Nobody, Nobody ambushes them on the sidewalk with the camera and the microphone. The Montgomery County executives say, excuse me, sir, why are you releasing illegal alien child rapists who've committed horrible crimes? Why are you doing that, sir? I know you'd think that the Washington Post has like five guys whose sole job is to write illegal alien sob stories. And you'd think just like out of shame and the fact that Montgomery County is like a 10-minute drive up the freeway, you'd think that they'd at least mention this. Well, you'd be wrong. Uh, there's one good reporter following this. He is uh, Kevin Lewis of WJLA in Washington, D.C. Uh, his Twitter if you want to go follow it, is at ABC Kevin. He's been very good on this. Uh, for example, he's reported the case of 21-year-old Nestor Lopez Guzman. That's a Salvadoran illegally in the U.S. He is charged with sexually molesting a preteen girl and her younger brother. How about that? And keep in mind, Montgomery County voted 75% for Hillary Clinton in 2016. It is blue as blue can be. So you know what? I shouldn't even care. Because I've long said that liberals don't give a shit about illegal immigration, so fine, let them bear the brunt of the consequences of illegal immigration. But, you know, because I have a big heart, I won't even go that far. But yeah, it's up to seven now. So good job. And, and hey, you know what? Shout out to Kevin, man. He's, uh, he's doing the thing that uh, nobody else would do. The latest one, by the way, is a man accused of raping a 15-year-old girl in her grandmother's bedroom. And he had been deported from the United States less than three years ago. Emilio Carrasco Hernandez. Jeez, if only we had... Fuck, I'm racking my brain here. You guys, Stay with me. Stay with me on this. Imagine if we had some sort of giant physical barrier of sorts that would make it very difficult to continue moving in a forward direction. I want to say that every one of our bases overseas in Afghanistan has such a giant physical barrier designed to impede forward movement in order to protect our troops from the Taliban. God, if only we could find something like that on our southern border. I don't know. What, what, do you, what could we call it? We've got to come up with a snappy name for it. Oh, and uh, I'm just looking at Kevin Lewis. That's ABC, at ABC of Kevin. I'm looking at his Twitter account right now. You know how many rape cases Montgomery County had in 2016? They had 314 rape cases. One county in one year. That's an average of 26 a month. And of course, because Montgomery County is most woke, they do not collect data on whether those criminal rapists were illegal aliens or not. So you have to go through each story like one by one to find out how many there are. Yeah, they don't, guys, they don't gather them. They don't want to know. <laughs> they don't want to know. Uh, and just a few more quick uh, immigrate. You guys always know I, I tell you the immigration system from top to bottom is fraudulent. I've been screaming it for years. There's fake stories, fake asylum claims, fake documents, uh, fake families. It's fake from top to bottom. Here's just a couple. 
You can find these both these stories on the U.S. Department of Justice website. Um, I've told you before, you should follow them on Twitter. Um, so I would go check that out. Now, the first one is a Texas woman who has pled guilty to conspiracy to facilitate adoptions from Uganda through bribery and fraud. 58-year-old Robin Longoria pled guilty. Um, yeah, she, basically her role was, a, this was a scheme through to uh, facilitate the adoptions of those children through bribing Ugandan officials and then defrauding U.S. adoptive parents. Uh, so go read that whole story. And then another one from the Twitter account of the DOJ. A Bangladeshi national has pleaded guilty to bringing aliens to the United States. Yes, this uh, Bangladeshi national formerly residing in Monterey, Mexico. Well, Mokhtar Hussein, 31, admitted that from March 2017 to August 2018, he conspired to bring and brought Bangladeshi nationals to the United States at the Texas border in exchange for payment. He operated out of Monterey where he would house those aliens before sending them on their last leg of their journey to the United States from Bangladesh. Yeah, you guys, it's not just it's not just Mexicans and South Americans. Everybody's coming through, because why wouldn't you? Uh, one good thing, Brazil is making it easier for the United States to deport undocumented Brazilians by asking U.S. airlines to board deportees even when they have no valid passports following pressure from the Trump administration, said three Brazilian government sources to Reuters. Well, good. There's a shitload of Brazilians in San Diego. I always wonder how many of them are over visa overstays. I bet a ton of them. So the federal police sent airlines a memo in June allowing them to board Brazilian deportees with just a certificate of nationality issued by a consulate if they lack a valid passport, which previously they needed to travel to Brazil. And this is because Brazil has come under increasing pressure from the Trump administration to facilitate deportations of its detained nationals. There you go. To the point of risking sanctions. So they fucking, we waved the big stick, and what do you know? They're cooperating. Funny how that works. Um, oh, and here is, I thought I'd play this. Here's a clip of a United States Border Patrol agent, and he's talking about the impact of the new and improved border wall in San Diego. And I wanted to play this clip because you guys have heard them say it a million times, walls don't work, right? And I always tell them, well, why don't you, it's funny because the, the Border Patrol guys say wherever they've put up a wall, it's been extremely effective. But don't listen to me. Let's hear it from this guy. My name is Justin Delatore. I'm the patrol agent in charge of Imperial Beach Station. We're standing in Smuggler's Gulch right now, which is a significant area historically for the Border Patrol because this area has been used for decades for alien and drug smuggling. And when I started my career here, this canyon alone required five agents to maintain effective control of the area. And that's because we didn't have a whole lot of infrastructure. Uh, we used to have a fence that was made out of landing mat. Uh, that fence helped, but it was pretty easy to compromise, pretty easy to climb. Um, with the most recent improvements, we've just this past year, we had the completion of the new primary border wall, which is 18 feet high. It has an anti-climb feature. It's made of steel. It also has a concrete base that prevents digging from underneath. And now we're able to control this area with the new infrastructure. 
Okay, you heard them. It's a lot better, right? Yeah, now they're able to control this area with the new infrastructure. It's kind of a weird plus that caught me off guard, the clip ending where it did. But what do they know right now? The, the, the resistance on Twitter, they know about security, and they'll tell you all the time. All right, how about some more world news? I talked about Indonesia a lot lately. Well, Jakarta, the Indonesian capital, it's actually sinking. And it's polluted and crowded. So now they're thinking about moving the capital. Jakarta has about 10 million people, which is completely insane. Its air quality ranks among the world's worst. It has few parks or cultural monuments. So Indonesia's president, talked about him last week a little bit, Joku Wadudu, announced on Monday a plan to fix the capital. He wants to start from scratch. He has proposed stripping Jakarta of its status as the country's capital and building a new capital on the island of Borneo. Uh, so Borneo, though, is famous for its threatened orangutans and dense jungles that are giving way to palm oil plantations. But the government does own already about 440,000 acres there. And, uh, yeah, they think this will be way better. The project is estimated to cost about $33 billion. And uh, what's this about? It's uh, I'm trying to... Um, oh, here's why. I was wondering why it was sinking. Well, it was founded in the 4th century along the northwest coast of Java. And it's basically... They, they started it on marshland. And because of that, it's sinking. Parts of it have been sinking more than two inches a year, making it one of the world's most vulnerable cities to rising sea levels caused by climate change, adds the New York Times. Seawalls have had limited success in holding back the Java Sea, and without an aggressive plan to protect the coast, parts of the city are likely to be lost in coming decades. Okay, so we'll probably see a new one there. Now, speaking of Indonesia... Guys, I talked a couple weeks ago about that kind of little rebellion they're having over there. Well, at least one person has been killed as police fired rubber bullets after residents in the West Papuan city of Jayapura in Indonesia attacked demonstrators there. Uh, the deputy mayor of Jayapura confirmed the death to the news site Al Jazeera on Friday. And he added that this attack, which also wounded several people, came in response to the protesters destroying public facilities a day earlier. Remember, this is all about the alleged racial discrimination by security forces and bystanders against those ethnic Papuan students in Surabaya. Remember that uh, from a few weeks ago? And that happened earlier in August. So it's been like two-week demonstrations and they've kind of evolved now into de demands for self-determination and a referendum on independence. Yeah, they don't want the uh, Indonesian government to be their overseer anymore and they want to have their, their own way. Well, all right. Probably not, but you never know. Maybe they'll get it. All right. Let's continue. Update on the fire situation. I talked about the Amazon fires the other week, and I, I noted before anybody else in the media did that, you know, there's a lot of fires going on in Africa right now. And a lot of people don't seem to be realizing that. But yes, a devastating series of fires are currently raging in Central Africa and parts of Southern Africa. 
And they say among the regions at risk is the Congo Basin Forest. That is the second largest tropical rainforest after the Amazon, and most of it is in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, so, as I've said, there's been a lot of misinformation put out about the Amazon one. And fire experts are cautioning against comparing the two situations in Africa and South America. Um, now, in the Brazilian Amazon, the fires are racing through environmentally critical rainforests, right? Uh, but in Central Africa, they're incinerating savanna and scrubbier land. And many of the fires are typical for this time of year, which is important to note. While some fires ignite naturally in the dry season, others, much like the Amazon ones, are deliberately set by farmers to clear land and improve crop yields. Uh, so data says that Angola ranks first in the number of fire alerts by province right now, while Brazil ranks second. So Brazil is not even the number one. And then uh, Zambia and the Democratic Republic of Congo are third and fourth. So they've got just as many problems. A lot going on over there in Africa. All right, what else? How about a little Epstein update? Yeah, that's right, Jeffrey Epstein. Well, first of all, let's continue with this conspiracy theory about the his death, which was ridiculous. And now they're saying that two cameras, they, there were two cameras outside his cell. And what do you know? Both cameras malfunctioned. Come on. I mean, it, it, it's like they're trying to see how far they can goad us with this. How is that possible? Well, those two cameras have been sent to an FBI crime lab for examination. I'm sure they'll find nothing. Remember, the two cameras were within view of the Manhattan jail cell where he was found dead on August 10th. A source earlier told Reuters two jail guards failed to follow a procedure overnight to make separate checks on all prisoners every 30 minutes. Remember, he had been taken off suicide uh, watch prior to his death. Now, the Washington Post said there was at least one camera in the hallway outside Epstein's cell, and they said it had footage that was unusable. I, I don't know what that means. Does that mean it wasn't... Re so it was recording something, but the footage is not usable. I wish they'd ask like more specific questions. These reporters, what do you mean by that? Is Mike, that's what I would have asked immediately. Come on, reporters, get it together. And meanwhile, Epstein accuser is urging Prince Andrew, this guy sounds like a piece of work, to come clean on the sex allegations against him. That's right. That's uh, Virginia Joffrey. Said on Tuesday, she spoke outside a New York courthouse, and she accused Jeffrey Epstein of sex crimes, and she said to Prince Andrew of Britain, quote, he knows exactly what he's done, and I hope he comes clean about it, end quote. Prince Andrew is a 59-year-old second son of Queen Elizabeth II, and he's facing intensifying scrutiny for his ties to Epstein. And he's a longtime friend of Epstein's. He has pictures on the Internet of him with other girls. Indeed, Joffrey said in legal findings, filings in 2015 that Epstein had lent her to Prince Andrew for sex on multiple occasions when she was 17. Oh, here you go, yeah. She had released a photograph from 2001 
showing Prince Andrew standing next to her with his hand around her bare midriff. Uh, he has denied everything, Prince Andrew, as one would expect he would. Hmm. All right, we'll see if he cracks. He's not going to... He's. They're not going to let this chick within like a, 10 miles of this guy. Now, more celebrities. I told you guys there's going to be a long list of names that come out with the Epstein thing, and I'm here for every one of them. You know one of them is? Is Simpsons creator Matt Groening. Remember, you know, The Simpsons, the TV show? Well, uh, Jeffrey Epstein's teenage sex slave named Virginia Roberts described in detail having to massage... Matt Groening's crusty toenails oh, during a flight on Epstein's private jet in newly unsealed court documents. <laughs> uh, and these documents describe her alleged interactions with multiple celebrities and politicians and also describes numerous threesomes she claims she had with Epstein and kind of his pimp, that female, Ghislaine Gis Maxwell. Yeah. She says this encounter with Groening happened in 2001 during a flight from Carmel, California to L.A. Oh, so gross, dude. And, uh, yeah, he had to uh, massage her feet. Jeffrey insisted that she give Matt a foot massage. And she said, quote, I nearly threw up at the thought of having to touch his feet. He had yellow, crusty toenails that even someone with a chainsaw would have had trouble cutting through. And then there were the fluffy balls of leftover pieces of sock wedged between the crevices of his sweaty toes. <laughs> uh, do they have any... I'm, I'm looking, I'm scrolling through this to see if there's any other uh, celebrities named... Oh, man, come on. That's it. That's it so far. They're all going to come out. They're all going to come out. I can't wait. I can't wait to see who's on this. What else? Oh, we had a great week of media coverage. Let's, uh, uh, let me, let me start by saying the fake news that was spread by MSNBC by Lawrence O'Donnell. Remember, he frenziedly put out that he had secret documents that Trump had loans with Russian co-signers. He based all of this report on a single source, anonymous, and now he can't confirm it, and he was forced to apologize because Trump threatened a lawsuit. And this is funny. I'm not even going to play the original clip where he dropped this bombshell because it's funny. The whole time he's like, if true. And I'm like, okay, well, just because you say if true, you can't just say anything you want. Man, the media has really gone full fucking artard for sure. I know some of you guys don't like when I say retard. I'm trying not to. Let's hear Lawrence O'Donnell now apologize for the fake news that he helped spread. Here we go. Apologize for having said that wrong. I will try to never do it again. That's Rachel Maddow. I'll see you again tomorrow. Now it's time for the last word with Lawrence O'Donnell. Good evening, Lawrence. Good evening, Rachel. Thank you. Appreciate it. Last night on this show, I discussed information that wasn't ready for reporting. I repeated statements a single source told me about the president's finances and loan documents with Deutsche Bank, saying, if true, 
as I discussed the information, oh, that was makes simply it okay. not good enough. I did not go through the rigorous verification and standards process here at MSNBC before repeating what <laughs> I heard from my source. Rigorous. Had it gone through that process, I would not have been permitted to report it. I should not have said it on air or posted it on Twitter. I was wrong to do so. This afternoon, attorneys for the president sent us a letter asserting the story is false. They also demanded a retraction. Tonight, we are are retracting the story. We don't know whether the information is inaccurate, but the fact is we do know it wasn't ready for broadcast, and for that, I apologize. Okay, so you get the idea. But it doesn't matter now because now it's, it's, it's all out there. This will be in the resistance's head that, yeah, the Russians, Putin. Just like the other they can't accept they lost an election. It's I've never seen anything like it. Now, in further uh, fake news, CNN. That You know that dope on CNN, Brian Stelter? Yeah, he's got a show called Reliable Sources, if you can believe it. So he has on his guest, and all CNN does is they put on people who will just bash Trump. That's fine. But when you overstep like this, you're going to get totally ridiculed because what CNN, what Brian Stelter had to do is he, he had a guest on who claimed that Trump was actually more destructive than Hitler, Stalin, and Mao. <laughs> and the host doesn't even say anything. Let's roll diagnosed. it. Right, without saying I'm diagnosing because you've never met the man. Exactly. You can describe what you're seeing. So, Dr. Francis, I know you disagree with this view uh, that uh, Dr. Lee and, and a couple other dozen psychiatrists have, have published in this book. You say it's dangerous to be talking this way. Why? Well, I think that medicalizing politics has three very dire consequences. Hmm. The, the first is that it stigmatizes the mentally ill. I've known thousands of patients, almost all of them have been well-behaved, well-mannered, good people. Trump is none of these. Lumping the mentally ill with Trump is a terrible insult to the mentally ill, and they have enough <laughs> problems and stigma as it is. The second issue is that calling Trump crazy hides the fact that we're crazy for having elected him and even crazier for allowing his crazy policies to persist. Trump is as destructive a person in this century as Hitler, Stalin, and Mao were in the last century. He may be responsible for many more million deaths than they were. He needs to be contained, but he needs to be contained by attacking his policies, not his person. It's crazy for us to be destroying the climate our children will live in. It's crazy to be giving tax cuts to the rich that will add trillions of dollars to the debt our children... Okay, you get the idea. I don't even know the dope's name, but you saw... And Now, the funny thing is, after he was called out on that, Brian Stelter, the host actually says, well, you know what? I have a lot going on. I had two laptops going on, and I didn't hear what he said, so that's why I didn't correct him. I'm watching the clip. He's Brian Stelter's not looking at anything except straight into the camera. So to say he was distracted by a bunch of stuff is nonsense. He wasn't looking at anything else. So that was a lie. Now, in more media, we had one of my aforementioned buffoonish immigration reporters named Maria Sacchetti. She works for the Washington Post. And I've heard this bandied about this so many times I thought I'd address it. And she's claiming, and you'll hear this a lot, that, hey, look, almost every family that comes to the U.S. gets released because they pass that initial asylum interview. Okay? 
Now, I reached out to my contacts in ICE, Immigration Customs Enforcement, to ask them about this. But let me play the clip first and hear what she says uh, on this one. Here we go. A lot of families are coming right now, according to the Trump administration and the Obama administration, is that it's uh, smugglers are telling migrants in Central America that it is easy to get into the United States if you travel with a child. It is. Uh, and and it, most families have been released. But they've been released because they are passing asylum interviews. The initial interview that that is questions, you know, about whether you have fear and why, and whether that person is credible. And an asylum officer finding, these are trained asylum officers, professionals in their field, <laughs> and they are finding that these folks have a credible fear. Whether they ultimately win their case is another story. Um, but Okay, let me stop her right there, because I'm glad she said that. Whether they ultimately win their case is another story. After reaching out to my context, I'm like, what's up with this initial interview, this credible fear? And the guys told me it's a joke. They're like, basically what they do is ask, do you have a fear of going home? And then they say yes. And then they're like, okay, well, here's a court date three years from now. And you heard her. Whether or not they win at that point is irrelevant. They've already been allowed to stay in the United States for three years. Probably had a kid or two. But you see that stat touted all the time. Oh, they have a credible... Everybody passes their credible fear test. Like, what? use your head, you guys. You think some guy sitting in an office at the border is... What, what do you think? You think he's ringing up the village back in El Salvador and checking? No! <laughs> he doesn't even know who he's supposed to call. So, yes. They say, okay, you have a fear. Here's your court date three years from now. And then, if the, when, the ones that do actually show up to court, it's a huge percentage are granted, they have no basis for asylum. They don't belong to one of the five protected categories of asylum requests. And then they're given orders of deportation. And then we want, when we send ICE to go get them, that's when the resistance screams. You see the vicious cycle here? It's all fraud. <clears throat> and uh, one more time, you guys, I wanted to... Uh, play this last one because Brent Stevens from New York Times, he quit Twitter after being called a bed bug because he was super upset. He was analogized to an insect, okay, which is very not woke at all. And he's so upset about this, he quit Twitter because he could not bear somebody calling him an insect. What a Twitter big account After a controversy that involved someone calling you a name, would you like to comment on that? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to be careful with my words okay. because I know these are going to be uh, examined carefully. So I think Twitter brings out the worst in its users. It tends to bring out the worst in its users. That's and yesterday, um, a professor at George Washington University described me as a bed bug or a metaphorical bed bug uh, just in the context of the New York Times having a, a bed bug problem in our building. And I think that kind of rhetoric is, is dehumanizing and totally unacceptable no matter where, where it comes from. So I wrote him a personal email. I didn't go to Twitter. I wrote him a, a, a personal email, which I think was, was, was very uh, uh, civil, saying that I didn't appreciate it, that I would welcome him to come to my home in New York, meet, uh, meet with my family, and see if he would call me a bedbug to uh, my face. Because a lot of the things people say on social media aren't the things they're really prepared to say in one-on-one -on -one interactions. I also copied his provost uh, on the note. People are uh, upset about this. I want to be clear. I had no intention whatsoever to get him in any kind of professional trouble. But it Oh, is get out. Then why'd you do it? Then why'd you do it? Oh, Mike, what a baby. Yeah, you know the shit I've been called on Twitter? Suck it up, buttercup. That's it.
God, grow up. These people, they're so they're so precious, aren't they? Such a precious little girl. Okay, what else happened? Well, oh, James Comey. Yeah, James Comey, former FBI director. He was uh they declined to prosecute him. The Department of Justice Inspector General's report came out and it did rebuke former director James Comey for several instances where he ran afoul of bureau policy. Uh, for one thing, a lot of this had to do with the release of several confidential memos detailing his conversations with President Trump. So, on page two, Comey did not seek authorization from the FBI before providing memos two, four, six, and seven to his attorneys. Um, also, Comey did not seek FBI authorization before providing the contents of memo four to a reporter. After his removal as FBI director, Comey violated applicable policies and his employment agreement by failing to either surrender his copies of those memos or seek authorization to retain them. Uh, he did not properly mark the memos with classification banners, portion markings, or a classification authority block. Comey was not authorized to disclose the statements he attributed to President Trump in Memo 4, which was relevant to the ongoing Flynn investigation. And then, a big one, once he knew that the FBI had classified portions of Memo, memo number 2, Comey failed to immediately notify the FBI that he had already given Memo 2 to his attorneys. So they decided to not further seek any punishment but he was criticized for violating the FBI rules. Again, it doesn't matter. It's a big club. You're not in it. I've said it a hundred times. So he did violate policy by disclosing those memos, and they did admonish him for setting a dangerous example for officials with access to government seekers. However, they declined to charge Comey with illegally disclosing the material. That's it. So Donald Trump tweeted out, quote, Perhaps never in the history of our country has someone been more thoroughly disgraced and excoriated than James Comey in the just-released Inspector General's report. He should be ashamed of himself. Okay, and Comey is now playing the, the model citizen up there. Yeah, he's got a book to sell. That's what he's going to do. Okay, what else? How about uh, let's do a little political roundup here, you guys. I've got a few good ones. First of all, quickly, uh, the Republican governor of Alabama, Kay Ivey, uh, had to apologize for, guess what, blackface. <laughs> Dude, apparently everybody in the South just put blackface on in the 60s. This is the thing. This is what everybody did, and it was no big deal. Well, it's a new era now. And yes, Kay Ivey was in a skit that involved blackface when she was a college student in the 1960s. Um, she said in a statement that she had been made aware of her participation in the skit through audio that emerged of an interview she had given alongside her then-fiancé to the Auburn University student radio in 1967. Um, does it describe here? Oh, here we go. Uh, they recall acting out in a skit. This well, this person did. This person was Ben Laravia. He was her then fiance. Okay, 
Well, LaRavia recalls acting out this skit with K.I.V. called Cigar Butts, in which K.I.V. had on a pair of blue coveralls, and she had put black paint all over her face. All right. And, of course, the Democrats are calling for her to step down. Doesn't sound like she's going to. So the, bl- the blackface, we're, we're never going to get rid of the blackface stories. Now, some other fun stuff. Let's talk about Repre- Representative Ilhan Omar, of course, the Somali-born Minnesota Democratic representative. She is denying allegations of an affair with a married Washington, D.C. consultant. Now, the accusations emerged earlier this week in a divorce filing from the man's estranged wife just over a month after it was reported that Omar had separated from her husband and father of her three children. When asked by the local radio station if she was separated from husband and if she was dating anyone, Omar gave a terse and firm reply and declined to entertain further questions about her personal life. Well... A court filing from a woman named Beth Minette, who's 55, alleged that the freshman congresswoman was involved with her husband, Tim Minette, 38. Wow. So she was 55 and he was 38? Dude, honey. That, you know what? If you're much older than your husband, you know, I'm just saying, ladies, it's going to come to a point where he's going to start wandering because he's in his late 30s, early 40s. He's still looking good. And maybe you're not so much in your mid-50s. I know, it sucks, but that's the way it is. Marry somebody your own age. Anyway, well, Tim Minette and his wife said, uh, the se- his wife said their separation in April 2019 was brought on by his confession. So this dude, Tim Minette, he told his wife he's romantically involved with and in love with another woman who was named as Ilhan Omar, who, of course, serves at that as that representative. Um, Now, where it gets tricky is that Tim Minette has previously worked for Ilhan Omar's congressional campaign, and his company has received approximately $230,000 for fundraising, consulting, digital communications, internet advertising, and travel expenses, records showed. Hmm. All right, Ilhan Omar got herself a white boy. I'm pretty sure that's not woke either, but, uh, you know, that's that's what she did. That's what they do. The uh, the white man is the ethnic activist kryptonite. I'll just tell you that much now. They'll, they'll rail on about you white cisgendered hets, you heteros, but damn, they love you, don't they? All right, here's a few funny audio clips. Um, here's Let's start with, uh, which one do I want to start with? Well, I have stupid Robert O'Rourke. Oh, here's one where Robert O'Rourke says that you and I are responsible for the droughts in Guatemala, and that means we have to pay. With the people of Honduras and Guatemala and El Salvador reduce violence in their home communities, violence which we are somewhat to blame for, the civil wars that we've been involved in, the drug trade that we've facilitated, the war on drugs that has militarized and hollowed out their civic institutions in their home countries, and Guatemala suffering one of the greatest droughts in their recorded history, caused not by God nor by Mother Nature, but by you and me and what? all of us in our emissions and our excesses in our inaction in the face of the facts and the science and the truth. We- <laughs> okay. All right. And, you know, weren't those civil wars, like, generations ago? Are we? I wasn't even—I was like a baby when those were going on, okay? I'm not taking any blame for that. Oh, he also told a guy— 
who was asking like, well, hey, listen, um, so you're saying that like if I'm born, I'm okay, but like five minutes before I'm born, a woman could kill me and it'd be okay with you? And Beto says, yeah, that's her decision. Here we go. September 8th, 1989, and I want to know if you think on September 7th, 1989, my life had no value. Of course I don't think that, and um, of course I'm glad that you're here. But you you um, referenced my answer in, in Ohio, and it remains the same. Th this is a decision that neither you, nor I, nor the United States government should be making. That's a decision for the woman to make. Uh, we want her to have... Okay, so, <laughs> so he basically tells the guy, well, yeah, it's too bad. If she decides to abort you the day before you're born, so be it. Oh, what else? This weird, this Joe Walsh guy. I've seen him all over Twitter. He's a former congressman. He decides to, he's, he's going to run for president. Yeah. And, well, he's had many problematic statements on Twitter, including uh, calling Barack Obama a Muslim. Uh, but he is not racist. He acknowledges saying racist things, though. Let's uh, hear how he phrases it. Yeah, and I wouldn't call myself a racist, but I would say, John, I've said racist things on Twitter. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> okay, so he's that. That's all I wanted to play from him. Dude, this is the, the best grift in the world. You notice that as soon as you have a Republican guy who comes out as he hates Trump, he's all over TV. Look at Scaramucci, right? Same thing. And that's by design. They want to be on TV. They want to be famous. That's a, And there's no easier way to get on TV than to be the woke Republican. It is. Uh, what other clips I have? Well, I got a few... Well, let's let's talk. To, let's hear a clip from Sleepy Joe, who we can see slipping down the path into dementia. He's still comfortably in the lead, by the way. I did see one outlier poll that said Elizabeth Warren had caught up to him, but most polls are showing Joe Biden comfortably in the lead. A lot of old people like him, and they don't care what the young media says. Well, let's hear uh, Joe Biden talking here. here we, we are so close, so close to be able to do some incredible things for this country, incredible things. I just spoke at a at Dartmouth on healthcare at the medical school, or not? I guess I wasn't actually on the campus, but the people from the medical school were at the. I, I want to be clear. I'm not going nuts. I'm not sure whether it was a medical school or where the hell I spoke, but it was on the campus. See, 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 that's the thing. People are still laughing and calling it gaffes. And I'm not so. At what point does it stop being funny and be like, well, dude, uh, maybe these are more than gas. Uh, Biden also said all illegal immigrant detention facilities should be shut down. This should be interesting. Let's hear this. Continue to incarcerate migrants and expand the detention system. Like, what would you do to improve and help the immigrants reunite with their families? Close them down. Close them down. Okay, well, they don't show up, Joe. I know that was a little garbled. The audio guy's like, sorry, I can't help it. He said, he said she said, what would you do for these, uh, these facilities? And Joe Biden said he'd close them down. So no more detaining of any kind, which, again, there will be no pointed specific questions asked by the media on that at all. Um... Oh, Bernie Sanders was, this is amusing. 
He was blasted by a restaurant owner for being rude to his staff and refusing to take pictures or shake their hands and not leaving a tip <laughs> during a campaign stop in San Francisco. That's funny. Doesn't Bernie Sanders come off as just like, I'm sure he's just cranky all day long, all the time. Um, well, so according to the owner, oh, there's some discrepancies here. This was at the someplace called John's Grill in San Francisco. And the owner said all this, but a worker said that Sanders did leave a tip. And upon their exit from the premises, Sanders' wife, Jane, actually apologized to the staff for her husband's behavior. <laughs> That's funny. Dude, you're running for president, bro. Bernie, I don't get me wrong. I sympathize greatly with Bernie here about like being cranky and not wanting to talk to any riffraff. I get that completely, but I'm not the one running for president, Bern. You are. So you got to do stupid shit like go to Iowa, eat a corn dog, shake hands, grip and grin. Isn't that what they call it? Uh, the GOP senator from Georgia has announced that he will step down from the Senate at the end of the year. That is GOP senator Johnny Isaacson. So uh, he's having some health issues, unfortunately. So he is going to resign, which means that they are going to have another election. His term runs through 2022. And uh, the governor of Georgia, who's it, Brian Kemp? Yes, Brian Kemp, under state law, is allowed to fill that vacant Senate seat. Um, but a special election will be held to fill the remaining two years of his term, meaning Georgia voters are going to cast ballots for both states' Senate seats in 2020. So Isaacson is one. He's dropping out. And the other guy is Senator David Perdue, and he's up for re-election. So there's going to be two Senate seats in play in Georgia, and believe me, the Democrats are salivating over getting both of them. So we'll see what happens. And also, just to uh, finish up our political roundup, the DNC, the uh, Democratic National Committee, is rejecting Iowa's plan for virtual caucuses. Uh, so, in other words, you have to show up in person, which will be weird because a lot of old people don't want to show up to cast their caucus vote. You know, the Iowa caucuses are the first ones in America, and for some reason, they're always looked at as a big deal. They're really not that big of a deal. But a lot of old people who you'd think be going for Biden might be like, you know what, I'm not going to show up and drive 10 miles to just go down there and raise my hand to vote. Fuck it. Because before, they could just, like, you know, virtually do it, but not anymore. So this could uh, have an effect on the outcome of that. Oh, and then quickly, Joe Biden has been coming around talking about a, uh, a fake war story. Yep, he's been doing this for a long time. And it's a very moving but false war story. He tells a story about a, a uh, captain in the Navy who had to rappel down a 60-foot ravine under fire and retrieve the body of an American comrade. Okay? So they're saying it's a very great story, except almost every detail in the story appears to be incorrect. Based on interviews with more than a dozen U.S. troops, their commanders, and Biden campaign officials, it appears as though the former vice president has jumbled elements of at least three actual events into one story of bravery, compassion, and regret that never actually happened. Okay. 
I'm not going to go through the whole story because it's way too long and complicated, but uh, you guys go ahead and do that if you want to. Sleepy Joe, man. Uh, yeah, that's all for a political roundup this week. Not a lot going on. It's it's pretty pretty quiet. End of summer, you know, I think everybody's burnt out on it. Guys, think about it. We still have fucking over a year to go. Remember, it's not this November. It's next November. How stupid is that? All right, thank you to my Canadian listeners who sent me this one because he sent me a lot of good details that weren't in the story. And this is up in Canada again. Uh, here's the headline. Meeting through dating app leads to stabbing in Burlington. This is Burlington, Canada. And, okay, so first of all, the dating app was Grinder. The incident happened early Sunday morning at the victim's home after he met the male suspect through an online dating app. And the suspect was identified as a youth offender. And that's all they have. Well, the gory part that my source told me is that the guy who uh, the guy who got stabbed, the guy cr- cruising grinder was like in his 50s. And then the kid who did the stabbing was like some little twink who's like 21 years old. So that's what your grandpa's doing. He's on grinder doing that. What else? Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey's account was hacked, and you probably saw the tweets that flooded Twitter with racist and vulgar posts, including the N-word. Yeah, hashtag N-word. So all of a sudden, Jack Dorsey's Twitter account, at Jack, started tweeting a number of those vulgar tweets, uh, including this gem, quote, Hitler is innocent. Go follow at Tay Tay Love 3 if you want every Jew gassed, end quote. Yeah. And then uh, again, many racial slurs. Um, F N words, he writes. Yeah. Good. And this was uh, a hacking collective. So, and everybody's really upset about this. Like, I, it doesn't really, I don't care if people are raised, I don't care. Like, who cares? Everybody got really worked up and was like, see, see, see what this man, like, so what? So, like, a few uh, goofballs got into his account and tweeted vulgar shit. Like, who cares? Like, what is the big friggin' deal? I know, nobody can say that out loud anymore. This one was funny. Did you see Johnny Depp was in a new ad campaign for Christian Dior? A men's fragrance called Savage. And they've already pulled the campaign because they say it's wildly offensive to Native Americans and its cultural appropriation. Yes, savage, it's, well, savage is French for savage, and then you have a bunch of Indians in the, uh, in the campaign, so it's not coming off too well. And the funny part is that they were, they were, uh, self-aware enough to consult with people, but it still does not look good. Um, the ad copy also used outdated offensive language, claiming that the perfume, Savage, quote, melds extreme freshness with warm oriental tones, end quote. I guess anytime you say oriental is bad now. And uh, uh, Dior, Christian Dior, wrote that its video was made in close collaboration with Native American consultants from the 50-year-old indigenous advocacy organizations called Americans for Indian Opportunity. Okay, so what what went wrong here? Because apparently the Indians didn't have any problem with it. Oh, man. 
All right, pop quiz for my young people listeners. I know I got a lot. I have all the young listeners. Nobody watches CNN. They're watching YouTube. They're listening to BK. That's the way it is, and that's the way it should be. Okay, so pop quiz for you guys. Who is Saran Saran? Does that ring a bell? Okay, well, Saran Saran was the man behind the attempted 1968 assassination of Senator Robert Kennedy. He was in the news because he was hospitalized yesterday on Friday after being stabbed by a fellow inmate at a San Diego prison right here in San Diego. Yeah, they said it occurred Friday afternoon at the Richard Donovan Correctional Facility near San Diego. Uh, the statement that the prison came out with did not name Saran, but a government source direct knowledge confirmed to the Associated Press that Saran Saran was the victim. That stabbing was actually first reported by TMZ. Uh, he is now 75 years old, and he was convicted of shooting Kennedy shortly after midnight on June 5th, 1968. Kennedy, of course, had just finished delivering his victory speech to cheering supporters after he had declared victory in the previous day's California Democratic presidential primary. Uh, Sirhan Saran was actually originally sentenced to death, but when California briefly outlawed capital punishment, his sentence was reduced to life in prison. He has been denied parole several times. So there's your update on him. I'm glad we kept him around. How about this? Let's return to uh, do a little bit more follow-up on this one. Remember the Los Angeles pitcher Tyler Skaggs, who was found dead, uh, what was it, like last month? Yeah, July 1st. Well... They have concluded an investigation and his autopsy, and they say that he died of alcohol, fentanyl, and oxycodone intoxication, and that he choked on his own vomit. He was 27 years old. He was found dead in his hotel room in the Dallas area before the start of what was supposed to be a four-game series against the Texas Rangers. And remember that initially they said, oh, there's no way, you know, this is a, he doesn't take drugs. Well, you don't know. And now the Angels say... They are looking into a team employee for possibly providing him with some of these drugs. Um, now, Skaggs would not have necessarily been subjected to testing by MLB for the drugs found in his system because players on 40-man rosters are tested for drugs of abuse only if the Player Management Joint Treatment Board <laughs> finds reasonable cause. Okay, so they, don't, they just don't do it. Man, just fucking accidentally choked on his own vomit. I'd keep telling you guys, stay away from the fentanyl. You don't know what you're getting. And speaking of fentanyl, they just had a massive drug bust in Virginia. Law enforcement officers there have seized enough fentanyl to kill 14 million people. Uh, 35 suspects were arrested and four others are on the run. In total, authorities seized over 30 kilograms of fentanyl 30 kilograms of heroin, 5 kilograms of cocaine, and over $700,000 in cash. This is the largest drug takedown of Virginia in 15 years. They also seized roughly 24 firearms, including an AK-47. Man, good for you guys. Good job out there. <laughs> Fentanyl, man, you don't know what you're getting. But keep doing your drugs. Okay, what else? Oh, uh, Dave Chappelle came out, my man. I love Dave Chappelle. He came out with his new 
uh, Netflix comedy special. And because I love him, he really went after the politically correct and the woke. And I thought I'd play a few clips for you guys. And here was one where he talks about our cancel culture is what people like to call it. So let's hear Dave Chappelle talking about So in that spirit tonight, I thought I'd start my show a little differently. Tonight I'm going to do something that I'm not particularly good at, but that I like to do. Tonight I'm going to try some impressions out. I only got two. The first impression is kind of dumb, but I like it. This, this is my impression. You ready? This is my impression of the founding fathers of America when the Constitution was being written. You ready? Here it goes. Hurry up and finish that Constitution, nigger. I'm trying to get some sleep. The next one, the next one's a little harder. I want to see if you can guess who it is I'm doing an impression of. All right, let me get into character. You got to guess who it is, though. <clears throat> okay, here it goes. Uh, duh, hey, duh, if you do anything wrong in your life, duh, and I find out about it, I'm going to try to take everything away from you. And I don't care what I find out. Could be today, tomorrow, 15, 20 years from now, if I find out you're fucking duh, finished. Who, who's that? That's you. <laughs> That's what the audience sounds like to me. why I don't be coming out doing comedy all the time because y'all niggas is the worst motherfuckers I've ever tried to entertain in my fucking life. Yep, he's fucking spot on, dude. He's so right. They are. I like how he sucks them in, too. Oh, oh, Trump. Did you hear me yell out? Oh, that's Trump. Yeah. No, it's not it. And then, um, and then he, so that was one bit, and then he had another one that was pretty funny where he talks about the N-word Versus the F word. Let's hear this one. We have a nice conversation. She tells me, oh, the sketches are great. I go, oh, fantastic. Well, then, well, then why am I here? She said, because, David, there's no way that you can ever say the word faggot on <laughs> our network. <laughs> I didn't know I did anything wrong. I didn't try to defend myself. I said, all right, fuck it. I'll take it out. Have a good afternoon. And as I was leaving, it occurred to me, hey, hey, Renee, quick question. It's just a question. Seriously, I want to know, like, why, why is it, why is it that, that I can say the word nigger with impunity, but I can't say the word faggot? <laughs> and she said, because, David, you are not gay. I said, well, Renee, I'm not a nigger either. Yeah, Renee, what's up with that? Yeah, love Dave Chappelle. Good for him, man. Uh, this was breaking earlier this morning. There was a crash. I know some of you guys like Formula One. Well, in Formula Two, which is just shy of Formula One, they had a high-speed collision today in the Belgian Grand Prix, and a French driver named Antoine Hubert has died. That's right. Race car drivers still, still die. Uh, he was... 
only 22 years old. So just thought I'd note that. It's uh, very sad whenever a young man passes away unexpectedly. Terrible. Okay. What else do I have? Uh, let's go to... <laughs> oh, oh, man, there's so many. Guys, I know. I'm just scrolling through. There's so many. Remember, a bunch of you guys sent me this one. So let me get this one. A student practicing extreme yoga pose has fallen 80 feet from a balcony. Yep. A Mexican college student miraculously is still alive. She did this thing. She's. I'm looking at the picture right now. She's like kind of dangling off the balcony doing a pose. This was Alexa Terrazas. And she was only 23 years old. She slipped and landed on the pavement outside her building in a northeastern Mexican state of Nuevo Leon. Man. She was brought to the hospital. She's considered to be in critical condition, having suffered fractures to both her legs, arms, hips, and head. It may be three years before she walks again. <laughs> what? And you did this for what? You did this because you wanted to get likes on Instagram? Come on. Man, people don't learn. Okay, and if you guys know I'm a big free speech guy. Thank God every day we have the U.S. Constitution. Because most countries don't. You guys know that, right? Most countries do not have free speech. Almost none of them do. They say they do, but then they have all kinds of exceptions for what they call hate speech. Well, here's where... The European Court of Human Rights has ruled that calling the Prophet Muhammad a pedophile was not protected by freedom of speech laws. The case was brought by an Austrian woman, an Austrian woman in her 40s who was convicted of disparaging religion and fined 546 US dollars for branding the founder of Islam a pedophile during a seminar in 2009. And the court, the European Court of Human Rights, said that the Austrian judge that first ruled on the case correctly weighed the woman's right to free expression with the right of others to have their religious feelings protected, end quote. Well, we don't have that here. It doesn't care if your feelings are hurt. I can say whatever I want. You guys are lucky. Thank God we live here, man. And she said this. Because this woman, during this meeting, this seminar, she spoke about Muhammad's controversial marriage to Aisha, which, according to Islamic tradition, was consummated when Aisha was nine years old and Muhammad was 50 years old. So, according to the court, the woman told attendees about things the prophet liked to do with children and said, quote, a 56-year-old and a 6-year-old? What do we call that if it is not pedophilia? End quote. And what's scary is these, that her conviction was upheld by a bunch of other national courts before even reaching the European Court of Human Rights. And all of them upheld it. So you didn't even have one freaking outlier court saying, no, you know what, it's not, it, you can say what you want. This is, this is not your business. Fucking sad, man. Very sad. All right, where is my story? Oh, I wanted to do my story on the... Uh, the military, and I have more military news here that I wanted to get to, if I can just uh, actually find it. And it was about uh, the women who have gone through ranger school. 
And I remember back in the soft rep days, I was writing for them. This was a hot topic. And actually, Jack Murphy, who has attended Ranger School, was a Ranger, was in Ranger Battalion, was Army. He had lots of people tell him, dude, these chicks got chances nobody else would. And he tried to get a lot of them to come on and go on the record, but obviously none would for obvious reasons. So the Daily Caller has printed out an excerpt from this guy's new book, and it's called Stand Down. How Social Justice Warriors Are Sabotaging Americans' Military. And this is by writer James Hassan. And he looked into this first women to graduate ranger school. And here's what happened. When the first integrated class started on April 19th of whatever year it was, none of the 19 female candidates made it through the Darby phase of the course. Now, eight were chosen to be recycled back to the beginning of the phase to to take a second crack at the course with the next class, right? Which is normal. None of the eight women passed on the second try. Of those eight, three candidates were then given a third try but were required to start back at the very beginning and redo what they call wrap week in what is known as day one recycling. In other words, you're not just going to join at a particular phase. You have to go all the way back to the beginning. Now, getting a third attempt, writes Hassan, at the course is certainly unusual, but it is not unheard of. The opportunity is offered on relatively rare occasions to candidates who have performed well in most aspects of the course but struggle with a single test or task. In this case, in this class, three of, again, those eight female candidates were given a third try. Uh, So there were also two male candidates who had passed RAP week but failed Darby twice. So... Um, first, but there was a little bit different. The first, the two male candidates did not take the offer for a third chance as day one recycles. All three female candidates did. Now, RAP week, R-A-P, consists largely of pass-fail physical tests. They're like objective tests. You know, you either pass or you don't. You either run five miles within the time limit or you don't. You either complete the 12-mile weighted ruck march on time or you don't, okay? Uh, so... They, female candidates did go back, and now day one recycles are viewed by a lot of candidates um, as, you know, this is like a death sentence because you're already like totally, totally smoked on it and everything. And this Hassan guy goes in to talk about all the messages that were exchanged between ranger instructors in the immediate aftermath of a female graduate's patrol in the mountain vase of ranger school. This candidate was graded for her performance as the platoon sergeant for a nighttime raid, right? Well, apparently, the female had been graded on this platoon sergeant role, but she lost a member of the platoon, which is like the most basic thing you can't do. In fact, the missing soldier was so thoroughly separated from the rest of his platoon that the ranger instructors had to shut down the entire mission, telling the platoon to go to sleep where they were while the RIs searched for the missing candidate. The platoon never even had the chance to attempt its assigned mission. 
However, the candidate who had served as platoon sergeant, that female, despite a failure in her performance that ended the mission, received a passing grade. And uh, Hassan puts in text messages and handwritten notes here into the book. Uh, so, uh, and it's all about how they lost this kid and she was able to graduate anyway. So, but somehow this story never came up in all of the uh, sucking off of those chicks once they graduated from it. Not surprisingly, I told you guys this is a, you know, we're, you're losing the battle here. Okay, uh, what else? You guys know I cover the homeless. How about this one? I told you they're coming out with a tracking service. They launched this big report on Los Angeles homeless services and see to see how they're doing. Well, the city controller of L.A., Ron Galperin, came out and said it's a complete disaster. He's talking about the L.A. Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority, right? The audit that they took found that the uh, Homeless Services Authority failed to meet seven of nine city goals related to shelter, housing, and treatment. For example... Of the 4,199 people that outreach teams contacted on city streets last year, only 167, or 4%, were placed into permanent housing. <laughs> 14% were placed into crisis or bridge housing. The goal was 20%. So they can't even do that. And remember, even if they were successful on that, you're, that's still my tax money. So I don't look at that as a success. Whenever they're like, oh, look, we placed uh, 500 people in permanent housing. And I'm like, well, who's paying for that? Well, you are. Well, that's not, that doesn't count. You know, you guys know what I'm saying? Is it tracking on that? In other words, if I'm supporting it, then how is that a success story? I don't get it. Uh, okay, how about a few transgender stories? Uh, there's a transgender rugby player now, that's right, uh, playing, uh, and these are all male to female transgenders. Well, there's one in the on the BBC Wales website. Well, this woman named, born Nicholas Gareth Morgan, is now Kelly Morgan, and uh, she's participating in the Welsh Rugby Union. And they some of the players who want to remain anonymous <clears throat> are basically saying that she's just crushing the shit out of everybody. Shockingly. They even call her Beast. <laughs> They're not going to be happy until they break all the records. Oh, and uh, another transgender news, Chanel. You know Chanel Beauty? The very expensive beauty company? Well, they have now hired to be the face of their campaign a transgender model named Teddy Quinlevin. And yes, it is another male-to-female transgender. With, <laughs> I mean, you know what? I don't buy makeup or anything. But uh, you're just telling me, is this the, what's your target audience here? Why would you, isn't your target audience women- don't you want a beautiful woman to be the face of your campaign? I don't know. What, uh, what do I know? I'm not made for these woke times. Uh, quickly, a sex tape is out of Iranian politicians. Yeah, I just saw this this morning. I, ca I can't believe this isn't a bigger story. They actually have screenshots. They've blurred out some of them. Uh, 
this show, the sex tape is a four-minute video, and it shows politician Ali Mohammed Ahmadi caught in the act. And this is a, Ahmadi is posted online, and a the eight-minute video, the pair spends most of the time talking and kissing. Okay, so that's bad, but this is a very conservative Islamic Republic, so that's that's bad. Now, on August 9th, another tape popped up on social media featuring a different Iranian politician named Abbas Malakzada. And he filmed this video himself. In the video, he stands nude, caressing the naked woman with him as she talks on the phone. <laughs> These aren't exactly the most sexual sex tapes. God, can you imagine if they saw our sex tapes that we the, the Americans make? God, they'd freak out. Uh, but yeah, in um, in Iran, this is enough to uh, be be very problematic. All right, what else? Uh, California lawmakers have okayed a controversial bill. They're going to allow medical marijuana in K through twelve schools. I know. Can you fucking believe the people we have out here? Gavin Newsom will be the final decider on this. And by the way, uh, senile Jerry Brown had this come to his desk before, my, uh, Gavin Newsom's predecessor. He rejected it. But yes, the state Senate did give final legislative approval to a controversial bill that would authorize school districts to let parents bring non-smoking medical cannabis products, including pills, creams, and oils, onto school campuses that, to administer them to their children. Uh, so they say that they claim that, you know, okay. So they claim that the children will have to be administered by the parents. Well, that's not, that's never going to work. And this kid is just going to bring the shit to school himself and hand it out to everybody else. They claim it's needed to help students with severe health problems, including epilepsy and other such problems. Okay, nothing good is going to come of this. I'll just put it. And I'm a big, I'm a big weed medical marijuana guy. Trust me, nothing good is going to come of this. All right, and guys, how many times have you heard me scream about how stupid our justice system? Are you ready for this? This is this might be the topper and the ultimate example. Get this: a trial date has finally been set for. One, the five men accused of plotting the September 11th, 2001 attacks. I know, 20 years later, give or take. Well, yeah, it will be 20 years later because the trial is going to be January 11th, 2021. That will be the start of the selection of a military jury at Camp Justice. That is the war court compound at the Navy base at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. And this will be the case against Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and four other men and will be the definitive trial tied to the September 11th attacks. Remember they wanted to do this in New York City or something stupid like that? Well, they do face the death penalty in a conspiracy case that describes Khalid Sheikh Mohammed as the architect of the plot in which, of course, 19 men hijacked four commercial passenger planes and slammed two of them into the World Trade Center towers, and one into the Pentagon. The fourth, which was believed to be aimed for the Capitol building, crashed into the Pennsylvania field instead. You guys remember that one, the four civilians on board. 
who brought it down into the field and fought back. The charge sheet lists the names of the 2,976 people who died in the September 11th attacks. Now, it's still unclear if the trial will actually occur. You believe this? And the delay is part of a reflection of the difficulty the military has in carrying out prosecutions in a judicial system that was created in response to those attacks. They should have just put a bullet in their heads the second they caught them, and that would have been it. Oh, you know what? You know what they actually you know what some of the reason for the delays is here? They have a whole list. Go read the New York Times article. But a judge has yet to rule on whether crucial FBI agents' descriptions of the defendants' confessions are admissible because the defendants were tortured in CIA prisons. That's right. And another issue is the need for MRI machines, magnetic resonance imaging. They want scans of the five defendants to see if they suffered brain or other physical damage from torture because then defense lawyers might use the MRIs to argue against the men's executions if they are convicted. God damn. There is a never-ending list of tactics for the defense lawyers to delay, delay, delay. The longer time away from the actual attack, the more people are going to forget about it. 20 years, you guys. 20 years from justice stupidest system we've had ever oh man okay what else uh we had okay a bunch of you guys sent me this one too so i have to get to it the sex robot stories yes i got your i i got the many of you sending me this story and they're warning that sex robots could be infused with coding errors and could be programmed or prone to violent behaviors include strangling people to death. And a gentleman that I've quoted many times on this podcast, doll collector Brick Dollbanger, fears repercussions if robotics are not regulated properly. So you guys, this could turn your artificial intelligence girlfriends against you if they are equipped with their own free will. I mean, it's supposed to be a machine, right? But they're putting all kinds of artificial intelligence there. What if the machine decides, no, it doesn't want to be your submissive slave as you do unspeakable things to it in your house? And it just rises up and it starts choking you. What if it's programmed to like give you oral pleasure and it just decides to clamp down? What if somebody assassinates it? They hack into it remotely and programs the robot to kill you. When's going to be when is going to be the first death by sex robot? I'm guessing I wonder if there's already been one. Who knows? Maybe has a guy had a heart attack? Maybe we could count that. Okay, uh quickly, another guy guys, another I have to play this clip. This was also a big woke vet special this week and this was a army officer in uniform who is telling Joe Biden she prays she'll be president. So let me play the clip here. This is at a Biden event. And I should note, I do not believe this is on base, which is important. I'll tell you why in a second. So let's hear this clip. Here she is talking. So, um, Vice President Joe Biden, my name is Major Ginger Tate. And in 2013, I deployed with 198 ESP out of Delaware. You're kidding me. Under Colonel James Smithson and Sergeant Major Powers. I was the company commander of the Bravo Company here in South Carolina, the detached. And me and my first sergeant made these coins, and it has every 
city that my soldiers were in in Afghanistan. And I've been saving these coins for six years to meet you and President Obama. So that if I ever met you, Aww. I could bring this to you. And when I saw on the news last night that you were coming, I just had to be here. Thank you so much for your guidance as I took 130 soldiers over and I bought them back. And I'm so honored to have served under your administration and your leadership. And I hope and pray that you will be our next president. Now, 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 okay, let me stop here. Now, the funny thing is that the woke journalist who, who tweeted that out, he was like, wow, isn't this awesome? Well, the problem is she's an army officer in full freaking uniform. And the obvious comparison, you guys, is remember a couple months ago, the MAGA make air crew great again patches that swept the internet. And all I saw was the woke vets calling for UCMJ investigations. Not They didn't even want them disciplined. They wanted them thrown out of the military and prosecuted. CNN had fuck-faced retired generals on for days talking about that. There were articles run by the New York Times, by the Daily Beast, by The Hill, by ABC, NBC, PBS, CBS, every fucking article every outlet ran an article on those make america make air crew great again patches the crucial difference is those guys were on a ship that trump went to so they didn't have any choice but to be there second of all they didn't say anything they just wore a patch which was a cartoon this chick is in full uniform basically making a campaign speech and the stupid journalists tweeted out, and you heard them. They're all cooing over. Uh, first of all, she's a woman of color, which is also important. Because now the military is looking into it. And guys, there's no fucking way our social justice warrior military is ever going to discipline a woman of color in the military. However, I will give credit to the Army Times who did write an article about this at least. Like I said, none of the other outlets who crushed the aircrew guys ran bothered to run a story. CNN did no story on this. MSNBC, none of them. But the unit is now looking into it. The South Carolina National Guard is reviewing whether an officer will face any sort of punishment. And as you heard her say, that is Army Major Ginger Tate. And said... I hope and pray that you will be our next president of the United States. Obviously, there are specific guidelines for military personnel when it comes to participation in political events. And a big one is you're not allowed to be in uniform. So nothing's going to happen to her. But I, just, I wanted to mark the contrast. And I had a few people on Twitter bust my balls a little bit saying, Oh, BK, what are you talking about? I see all the woke vets condemning this one too. Okay, fair enough. I should have added the woke vets who go on TV and all that shit all the time and the numerous, numerous stories and outrage and calling for jail time. I didn't see any of that. And it just goes to show you. Uh, let's stay with military-related stories. Let's talk about the VA for a second. This is bizarre. Federal investigators are probing a series of suspicious deaths at a VA hospital in West Virginia. This came to light after the family of one of the victims filed a wrongful death suit against the VA. 
They said their loved one's death came as a result of an unneeded, fatal insulin dose while at the Louis Johnson VA Medical Center in Clarksburg. Could be Louis Johnson, sorry. This was retired Army Sergeant Felix McDermott, 82 years old. He died in 2018, right? Well, the Armed Forces Medical Examiner has ruled the death a homicide because McDermott's health plan did not include any insulin injections, and indeed, he was described as demonstrating clinical improvement prior to his death. So now, they said, a Joe Manchin, Democrat of West Virginia, he's on the Senate of Veterans Affairs Committee, he said in a statement this week that he had been briefed on at least 11 suspicious deaths at this one facility around the same time frame. Wow. So what is, is this some kind of, uh, you know, one of these killer nurses who goes around injecting poison into people's IV bags or something? Man. There's a killer on the loose over there. Uh, a, let's go back to Baghdad for a moment. A powerful bloc in Iraq's parliament called on Monday for the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Iraq. Remember, this is following that series of airstrikes targeting the Iranian-backed Shiite militias in the country. I talked about that last week. And at least one of those airstrikes was blamed on the nation of Israel. So this coalition called the Fatah Coalition, says it holds the United States fully responsible for the alleged Israeli aggression. And the Fatah Coalition is a powerful bloc in that Iraqi parliament. Um, so, yeah, they want the U.S. out. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> Let's go. They're telling us to leave, you guys. They're telling us to leave, and we still can't. Uh. All right, one more. I, I, I love these stories, and I'm always going to do it, and I don't understand it. A Missouri high school teacher pleaded guilty on Monday to producing child pornography after he secretly filmed three teenage boys using the bathroom in his home. Oh, God. Uh, he admitted using a hidden camera designed to look like a cell phone charger to film the teens over a five-year period. Oh, no. The boys were unknowingly recorded using the toilet, showering, and, yes, masturbating in the basement bathroom of Williams' home. This is William Williams is his name. Each stayed there at different points between January 2013 and September 2018. What are these, like, uh, orphans? Yeah, he was like a foster parent. That's what this was. And... A 15-year-old boy discovered the camera in September of 2018, according to a document. He became suspicious when Williams told him the apparent charger had to stay plugged into the bathroom. When the boy opened the device, he found an SD card that he inserted into his phone. On it, he discovered digital files of a young man using the toilet. Ugh. Oh, God. All three of the boys were filmed masturbating, the third boy was filmed masturbating with Williams in the bathroom with him at the time. God. Uh, and another one, police in Fairfax County, Virginia, have arrested a man. They said exposed himself to a teenager earlier this month. 50-year-old Ken Norton turned himself in after his photo was circulated. 
Police said a teenage boy told them he was in the bathroom of a Macy's at Springfield Town Center when he saw two men looking at him in the stall. One of the men began masturbating in front of him. <laughs> what is this? See, this, this is why we need the sex robots. So these guys will just stay home. Won't they stay home? Uh, I think they'll just stay home. What do you guys think? Or will it just encourage them to want the real thing more? That's the constant debate, isn't it? Oh, yes. As predicted last week, quickly, you guys, uh, that remember the sniper shooting in Lancaster, California? And I was asking, what, did this guy ND himself or what? Because I said, this is weird. They're not talking about it. Like, what's going on with the story? There's no update. Well, it did turn out, yes, I was wrong about how, him NDing it, but I was right about something being wrong because he did lie about being shot by a sniper and he will be fired from his job. Uh, he said the captain of the Sheriff's Homicide Bureau said Deputy Angel Reynosa's story was completely fabricated. So no shooting. He apparently cut holes in his uniform with a knife. So what I want to know is, like, it was so obvious that it was, like, you know, being faked. Then, then why, what was the big delay? Why was there uh, such a delay between the time they finally said he was faking and the time he went to the hospital? I don't understand any of that. So I don't know. Oh, here's a little little bit of audio from the press conference. You'll hear his his 911 call. From the north of the right okay, so that was the call made by Reynosa saying, "Oh, I'm hit. I'm hit. I'm hit. I'm trying to." The video's catching up here. And then the police, they the the, the SWAT team came. The whole deal it was a full turnout, and they started doing a manhunt. They thought he was like locked up in this building. After investigating defectives, uh, found no evidence. Today, saw no visible injury to Reynosa's shoulder. During the subsequent interview, Angel Reynosa admitted that he was not shot at from the apartment complex area, as he previously claimed. He also told investigators that he had caused the holes in his uniform shirt by cutting it with a knife. There was no sniper, no shots fired, and no gunshot injury sustained to his shoulder. Okay, what was this guy thinking? Like, he was like, you're going to get away from this? I mean, you're, do you not know, like, they have forensics and, you know, laboratories? <laughs> this, is this is ludicrous. Uh, also, this one's for my younger brother who lives in D.C. There was a random stabbing attack in D.C. Yeah, poor girl. 27-year-old Marjorie McGill was walking her dog when she was randomly attacked and stabbed to death right in the streets of D.C. And uh, just a, a wrinkle in the story, the guy who stabbed her had arrived as a refugee from Ethiopia. So we gave him shelter in this country, and he... Uh, repays it by randomly stabbing some girl to death. That's nice. Very nice. How much time? Okay, we're running out. Let's do some quick headlines. Brother of Olympic gymnast Simone Biles was charged in a triple homicide. See this? This was a New Year's Eve shooting in Ohio that killed three people. And yes, her brother, Tevin, is being charged with murder, voluntary manslaughter, felonious assault, and perjury in the December 31st, 2018 fatal shooting in Cleveland. 
And yeah, two people died at the scene. A third person later died at the hospital and her brother's being charged with all of it. Wow. Can't pick your family. Uh, Elon Musk had a bit of a a summit meeting with the uh, founder of Alibaba, which is a huge Chinese company, Jack Ma, and they started talking about AI and the future of computers. And these are two like very smart guys. So let's hear from Elon Musk and Jack Ma talking about computers being smarter than humans. Computers actually are already much smarter than, than people on so many dimensions. We just keep moving the goalposts. Uh, so we used to think, like for example, being good at chess was an example of a smart human. And then Kasparov was crushed by Deep Blue in 97. That was a long time ago. 22 years. I mean, right now your cell phone could crush the world champion at chess, literally. Um, Go used to be sort of thought of as something that humans were better at than computers. Then Lisa Dahl was beaten 4-1 by AlphaZero. Then uh, a new version of AlphaZero, oh, I should say AlphaGo. AlphaGo beat Lisa Dahl 4-1. Then uh, there's AlphaZero. AlphaZero crushed AlphaGo 100-0. Now it's just pointless because it just keeps playing itself. It, humans are... It, uh, Trying to play a computer Go is like trying to fight uh, Zeus. It's not going to work. Hopeless. We're hopeless, hopelessly inadequate. Um, in terms of rendering, basically, there's just a smaller and smaller corner of, of what of intellectual pursuits that humans are better than um, computers, and that every year it gets smaller. It's smaller. This is Elon and, Musk. And soon we will be far, far surpassed in every single way. Guaranteed. Okay. Or, or civilization will end. Those are the two possibilities. Okay. Um, yeah, my view is that um, computer may be clever, but human beings are much smarter. Yeah, definitely not. Clever is very academic, is knowledge-driven. Smarter is experience-driven. Computer is smart, is clever, but it's human being. We invented a computer. I never see a computer invented a human being. Okay, so you heard that you heard a little bit of kind of disagreement where he said there. He's like humans are smarter than computers, and you heard Musk go, "Yeah, definitely not." That's funny. Uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken has sold out of their meatless chicken nuggets. Just five hours in one Atlanta restaurant. You see, this is a Beyond Meat, the company again. Now they're going after, they call it Beyond Chicken. And they already sold out. And Beyond Meat, I've kind of followed their stock price in the last uh, couple months as they made their IPO. And yeah, this was a, a one-time rollout. There was lines out the door. And they sold out of all this plant-based chicken food. And it's funny to me because this is, people read plant-based and they assume it's healthy. And it's nonsense. As a matter of fact, Whole Foods CEO and co-founder John Mackey, he came out and said, meatless burgers and chicken wings are highly processed and unhealthy. The same shit I told you guys for, for months now. He did say he believed plant-based meat burgers are good for the planet, but they are not good for our health. Because, as you guys recall, in the Beyond Meat section, when they were doing the Beyond Burger, I said, dude, these, these burger patties are basically made up of mashed peas and oil. Tons and tons of oil. 
And at the end of the day, it's very much a highly processed food. I get it. You guys want to, I just saw Beyond uh, Burgers in the, in the store the other day. Maybe I'll uh, fall on my sword and do a taste test with that one. All right, kind of starting to run out of time here. We gotta gotta speed it up quickly. Uh, Uber and Lyft have pledged sixty million dollars to a ballot measure coming up, which I've talked about in the past, in that fight to keep drivers' classification as contractors rather than employee. This is a ballot initiative in California for the twenty twenty election, and as I've told you guys, they're already losing massive amounts of money. And to treat their drivers like employees, so now you have to provide them with benefits, health care, etc., will make them lose even more money. Obviously, the long-term goal here is the driverless cars. But they are fighting this tooth and nail, and they don't want, uh, they don't want that legislation to go anywhere. So that's going to be a big one on the 2020 ballot for sure. I'll watch that very carefully. A man was gored to death by a bull at a Spanish festival. Yeah, 62 years old. They were doing one of those bull runs. There's more than one, you know. And in central Spain, a man suffered several deadly horn blows to the chest and neck and could not be saved. Ah, very good. Spain is famous for its summer bull runs, and there are many casualties every year. I love how this is just like seen as like, oh, well, which it should be. I mean, if you want to take a chance by getting chased down the street by a bull. I mean, you kind of have what's coming to you, right? The running of the bulls in Pamplona earlier this year had eight people gored and 35 injured. Now, that wasn't... They just say eight people gored, but they don't... Is that supposed to mean to death? Obviously, it's not to death. We would have heard a lot more about it, but they don't say. Uh, Back to the Department of Justice, there was a couple of... Uh, Islam, nutty Islamists rolled up. An individual planned attack in Queens was charged with attempting to provide material support to ISIS. A guy named Awais Choudhury recorded videos and took photos of the Flushing Bay Promenade and the World's Fair Marina in preparation for an attack. He is a, he's 19 years old, a naturalized U.S. citizen born in Pakistan, and yes, he is being charged with attempting to provide material support to the Islamic State. And he wasn't the only one. A Maryland man, 28-year-old Rondell Henry of Germantown, Maryland, has uh, returned an indictment against him on charges of attempting to provide material support to a foreign terrorist organization, specifically as the Islamic State. Another one of these guys. Yep. Henry knowingly attempted to provide that support, including services and personnel, meaning himself, to ISIS. And he wanted to steal a U-Haul and drive it to Maryland with the intention of using it as a weapon against pedestrians on the sidewalks within the National Harbor Complex along the Potomac River in Maryland. That's right where my younger brother lives. It's no good. Imagine if we didn't have these FBI guys all over the internet entrapping these dudes. A couple big pharmacy stories. Johnson & Johnson must pay over $572 million for its role in the Oklahoma opioid crisis, ruled a judge this week. This is nuts. They said that Johnson & Johnson pushed doctors to prescribe opioids while downplaying the risk of addiction. 
and led to more than 6,000 deaths in over two decades. And that this was a public nuisance. They are expected to immediately appeal, but yeah, this is a big, big, big blow against some of these companies with the opioid product. As the cities are basically trying to recoup the money they've spent on it. And meanwhile, they're looking to settle a lawsuit on OxyContin and the Sackler family. This is Purdue Pharma is the name of the company. And they're looking at making a settlement under a 10 to $12 billion that's kind of taking shape right now. And that agreement, if it comes to pass, would resolve more than 2,000 lawsuits brought against the makers of OxyContin by state and local governments. This is like the big tobacco case all over again. So under the proposal, Purdue Pharma would file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy and transform itself into a public benefit trust cooperation with all profits from drug sales and other proceeds going to the plaintiffs. Hmm. Further, the Sackler family would give up ownership of Purdue Pharma and contribute $3 billion of their own money towards the total. Wow. And they would supply its addiction treatment drugs free to the public. Now, now what's not clear is whether this new company would continue to sell opioids. Now, it's kind of torn. I mean, th the reason the opioid thing was such a big deal is because they worked. That's the problem. Have you guys ever had an opioid? They always try to give you shitty stuff to numb your pain, which never works. Like, they'll, oh, here, here's some ibuprofen. Oh, here's some Tylenol with codeine. And none of that shit, like, I had a burn on my hand that was really bad. And, like, that's what they were trying to give me. And I'm like, dude, this is not touching it. I need something, like, real. I was, like, sweating bullets. So then they fucking inject me with Demerol, which I think is an opiate synthetic, but still, same kind of concept. Man, that shit felt, that pain was vanished in a second. So you can see, like, how effective it really is. Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein, his lawsuit is ongoing, and now an actress named Paz de la Huerta is bringing Disney executives into it. Uh-oh. She's saying that Disney is responsible for Harvey Weinstein's alleged conduct because they worked together on the Cider House rules, which was produced by then-Disney-owned Miramax. Uh, if you wonder, you know, did you guys ever see that Boardwalk Empire? Yeah, she was the slutty, like, girlfriend of Nucky Thompson, Steve Buscemi character. Yeah, she does full frontal nudity in that series a couple times. Yeah, very, uh, very hot. I, I know, it's, <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm saying she is. I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry. She is hot. Oh, what else? Uh... Two men were accused in a case involving children in satanic rituals plus bestiality in Ohio. <laughs> this, is, this is unbelievable. First of all, this guy accused is like 300 pounds. Uh, more than that. The local cops in Lockland described the case as the worst they've ever seen. They said they found pornographic images including child bestiality. Ugh. On the suspect's phones. William Bustios III, 25 years old, is accused of raping a boy last year who was five years old at the time. My God. 
Is there anything about this? Yeah, one of his buddies was arrested too. Um, the bestiality did involve victims underneath the age of five as well. Good Lord. And that's as much as details they put into this story. They say his apartment was basically set up as a sex room. His bedroom included a bed with nets to mount cameras to record sex acts and a little satanic ritual set up with camera satanic totems. He had dildos in the showers and pictures of these kids in the showers with the dildos. Guys, there's no end to it. Um, a What else? Oh, a man, uh, did you guys see the man was fatally shot by the Baltimore police this week? My man in the Baltimore PD sent me the video of it. But yeah, Tyrone Banks led police on a 100-mile chase through, 100-mile-per-hour chase through four districts, blowing a red light, striking police cruisers in a civilian car, and then taking off on foot. Now, that was in 2015. Well, Tyrone was back behind the wheel this time. And again, led Baltimore police on a high-speed chase and at least once charged his car towards the officers. Only this time, Banks had a gun and firing at least once when officers tried to stop him. They returned fire and they killed him. And there is some audio taken by bystanders. Let's uh, hear a little bit of what it sounds like. That's good audio right there. Yeah, you better. It shows the camera guy dives underneath the car. Like, yeah, you better. You better dive. Oh, boy. That's a lot. Um, <clears throat> what else? Oh, Trump's personal assistant got fired after a reporter dimed her out. This is funny. Madeline Westerhout. And she's this 28-year-old assistant. And she decided to have an off-the-record dinner with journalists, which, dude, they all hate you. What, do you th- what makes you think anything will be off-the-record? Well, she had a few drinks, and she started to tell reporters there about Trump's eating habits, his younger son, Barron Trump, and the big one, his thoughts about the weight and appearance of his daughter, Tiffany Trump. And she claimed that he did not like uh, Tiffany Trump being in pictures because she was overweight. And I've seen pictures of her. I mean, she's very, she's, she's plump, you know, not in a bad way, but uh, yeah. Anyway, so the reporters went and squealed on her, and then uh, so Trump fired her, clearly. So she's gone. And again, this is a whipping around Twitter like it's the biggest deal in the world. It's, it's really not that big of a deal. A court has upheld the conviction of a man who pointed a finger gun at his neighbor in Pennsylvania. You believe, yeah, you guys know, like you hold up your hand and act like a gun? Well, a Pennsylvania man pretended to point his gun at a neighbor using his thumb and index finger, right? He was convicted of disorderly conduct but appealed the decision. Well, this week an appeals court upheld his conviction, ruling that pointing a finger gun is in fact a criminal offense in this case. This is ridiculous. Maybe we don't have free speech anymore. 
Uh, the number one most expensive state to buy a home in, guys, which is it? Here's a hint. It is not New York and it is not California. It is Massachusetts. Um, they assessed 48 states in Washington, D.C., so I guess they left Hawaii and Alaska out. So, yep, Massachusetts was the most expensive. The uh, most uh, affordable was West Virginia. So all you guys, if you're broke, move to West Virginia. You can do whatever you want there. A suspect was ID'd. I tweeted this one out at BK Actual in a fatal sledgehammer attack in Las Vegas. Yep, 36-year-old man randomly walked up to a chick who was doing her laundry early Thursday morning and bludgeoned her to death with a sledgehammer, if you can believe it. <laughs> guys, be prepared to defend yourselves at all times. Uh, Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, revealed that a man she did not know sent her photos of his genitals on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She was asked on a radio show if somebody ever did it, and she said, yeah, it happened to me on Twitter, actually. Uh, a man had to have part of his penis amputated after he strangulated it with a rubber band in a bid to stop a cancerous tumor from growing. Yeah, 65-year-old went to the hospital complaining of pain in his genitals, which he started two months earlier but gradually got worse. This was in Japan. And, yeah, he decided to wrap a fucking rubber band around his dick to stop the tumor from growing. Well, th that's not going to work. God. And a man bit his pe a friend's penis off after the victim demanded he pay back an $11 loan. This was in central India. You guys are going to bite off a dude's dick for 11 bucks. Is that what you're going to do? I mean, that's not for me. And finally, because we're running out of time, let's go to the big finish. In East Kilbride, Lanarkshire, this is in the UK, a 21-year-old man was the victim of a workplace prank gone horrifically wrong. Chef Gary Trice was working at the Rainforest Adventure Soft Play, whatever that is. He attempted to copy a stunt he had watched on a Facebook page called On the Tools. The 29-year-old man placed the handle of a brush under kitchen porter Lewis Mitchell, 21 years old, after asking him to fetch cupcake holders from the top of a fridge. But Mitchell lost his grip on the fridge and crashed into the broom handle. And if I'm talking into the broom handle. Because the the video was posted on this stupid website where an employee was asked to pull themselves up from a peg on the wall. And as a practical joke, a broom is placed underneath their bottom, and then the person was unable to jump down after it's removed. Well, he decided to do the same thing. So he pulls himself up, and as he's doing so, the accused places the handle of a broom underneath his ass in full view of others. Then the guy loses his grip, drops towards the ground, and as a result... Get ready. The broom handle went through his trousers and his underwear, penetrated his anus, perforated his intestines, and stopped just short of his stomach. He had excruciating pain travel through him, and he screamed out as he fell into the arms of the accused. He was taken to a hospital where he remained for 10 days and had to get a colonoscopy. 
Oh my god. Colostomy. I'm sorry, I misspoke. So now he's got a fucking bag for his waist for the rest of his life. Guys, that's all I got. That... <laughs> On that note, there goes the iPad. I'm all done. That's two and a half hours straight, as promised. And I am sweating like a fool in here. Uh, please visit the Patreon, guys, uh, and help contribute to the podcast. Big shout out to uh, Michael, Tim, you guys who uh, who go to the Patreon. Look for BK Actual on Patreon.com. It's funny. I don't know what happened. I lost like seven patrons this week. I don't know. Maybe I said something upsetting. Anyway, um, but yeah, the Patreon's like one step forward, two steps back. I love it. Keeps me around, so please consider making a donation, you guys. I don't ask too much. That's going to do it for me, guys. Please follow me on Twitter, at BK Actual Podcast. Check out my Instagram, at BK Actual. I'm going to be on the beach for the rest of this Labor Day, so nobody bother me. That's it for me. I'll see you next week. say them. They school me to some niggas that you knew from back when, when you was clocking minor figures. Now they heard you blowing up like nitro, when they want to stick the knife through your windpipe slow. So thank fame for warning me, because now I'm warning you.